Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. I'm full of beans. Uh, I mean, Eric. And and I'm Alien Seth Salation. I don't know what that was. And, and hang on, you're full of beans. Was was that even mean? Like like that's what you had for lunch or? No, 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 no. Apparently that's what one of the characters says in the new Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Future Redeemed DLC. But, but I mean, I wouldn't know because I've actually had no time to play it. Gaming has just been kind of insane lately. Between that, playing Advance Wars and Tears of the Kingdom in just two weeks. Everything we have to cover in our news run, there's just, there's there's too much, Seth. I actually can't keep up. I, I know, I know. But you know what the cure to all of this is, Eric? Coffee? Not sleeping? I mean, check on all that already for me. No, it's clearly more video games. I mean... Oh, clearly. Yeah, I mean, think of it another way. Phrasing this another way, we still have a whole two weeks left before Tears of the Kingdom. So I'm deeming this week Backlog Week. Let's take this time to go back to some games and segments we've been wanting to cover on the show. And in fact, I'm glad you brought up Future Redeem because we'll be counting down the best paid story expansions on the Nintendo Switch in this week's top five. Well, I mean, I have been going back to things like Skullgirls and even playing old games like Horizon Chase Turbo. And as a matter of fact, actually, our indie showcase this week is a perfect game to clear off the backlog. It's Even the Ocean by Analgesic Productions. Yes, and we're bringing back a little segment that we actually haven't had on the show in like a year and a half. In the spirit of Zelda, we're standing in defense of the oft-maligned 3DS cooperative adventure Triforce Heroes. Yes! All right, I'm excited. Under, sleep-deprived, caffeinated, but excited. Are you ready to bust this backlog, buddy? Let's do this, my friend. It's time to go all in. Everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of All In and Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show. Reach and every week, no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. We are here live on youtube.com slash all in podcast as we are every Friday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, recording the first segments of our show live. Uh, man, there is so much to get into uh, tonight. Oh man, yeah. Like it, like as it seems every week. But shout outs to everybody uh, watching us live. We also have a few shout outs that we like to do here at the beginning of the show every week. Eric, do you know what those are? We do. I do. I do. We're talking about the patrons, right? We are talking about the patrons. Uh, yes! First of all, we want to welcome brand new patron uh, to the uh, to the All In Army, Gamer Jason, who was just on the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah, um, who joined us for the uh, the review of the Tetris movie. Uh, joined us at the Golden Banana Tier. So thank you very much for that, Jason. Thank you for your, your love and support, my friend. Welcome on in. Indeed, a golden banana human being. A golden banana human being himself, and um, we, you know, being a golden banana tier patron, Eric as you all know, gets him access to all kinds of exclusive content, like all in side quests, like the $2 hero cast and like shout outs uh, here at the beginning of every episode. Like we like to do for our golden banana and Triforce tier patrons. And speaking of that, we do like to do that, Seth. And we speaking like of that, that, we need to do that right here, right now. Starting with our golden banana tier patrons like Rob Yapel, 
third strongest mole, Sean, Sean O'Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, aka Neoprime33, aka Nintendo Dad number four, Matt, Shy Guy City Murray, Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D, Solo Something, and Bowza. Thank you very much to our golden banana tier. And now Gamer Jason. Yeah, of course. Um, (laughs) And uh, so thank you very much to our golden banana tier patrons. But of course, moving on to our Triforce tier. Hey, Seth. Hey, Seth. Hey, Seth. Do you think you might call them for this episode? Triforce Heroes? Triforce Heroes for this episode. That'll make sense uh, later. But yes, our <laughs> Triforce Heroes this week uh, begin with Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday, John Fast Cummins of the Retrologic Podcast, as well as On Topic Retro, the globetrotting, jet-setting, Nintendo Hub and Sparky of the Nintendo Hub right here on YouTube, Adam Caparello of Retro Groove, as well as the Octo Rock 1982 YouTube channel, Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy Mod Squad, Danielina Hosa, Dan and Luma, and the legend himself. The man whom Bonnie Tyler was talking about when she sung, I Need a Triforce Hero. (laughs) Uncle Randy. Uncle Randy of the Triforce Hero. Uh, Real quick, before, because we we do have some reviews to shout out too, but real quick, before we do that, um, I want to point people to, speaking of Shy Guy, uh, the other half of our our mod squad, he has a GoFundMe currently live, um, benefiting his son, um, who they're, they're trying to, uh, raise money for an e-bike for his son. Um, and his son has, uh, you know, kind of like mobility related things. Like he, he wants to be able to ride a bike with his son in a tandem e-bike. Um, so he put a GoFundMe live this past weekend and it was very heartwarming to see, uh, so many of the, of the all in community members pitch in and, uh, and yes. donate to that. Thank um, you. he's already, I think if he hasn't surpassed it, he's right up on $3,000 of his $4,000 goal. So he's, he's almost there, but, um, let's get him over the finish line guys. The, the GoFundMe is still live. Additional funds will just continue to, uh, to add support to, um, to, to him and his family and, uh, and his son. So it was really, really heartwarming to see. And I know he appreciates it a lot. Um, but if you, you know, if you have the room to, to throw a couple bones his way and support him and his son getting a tandem e-bike, I know he appreciates that. Um, and if not, Hey, if, even if you can just share it, uh, that is, is greatly appreciated. Just signal boost it. Uh, we retweeted it and that we're, we're going to shout that out as much as we can. We take care of our own here on all end and, um, you know, it was just, it was really cool. So, so huge thanks to everybody who, who supported that already. Um, so definitely wanted to shout that out. I don't want to go on to, I don't want to embarrass him. Yeah. But, but the reason yeah. I was looking down for the past minute or so, yeah. I was bringing it up. He is currently at 2,985. Yeah. So he's right there at 3K. Um, and the goal is 4K. So mm-hmm. we, I, I, we, we should be able to get him there. We can so do I, that. I appreciate y'all. Yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll have a link in the, uh, in the episode description as well for y'all to easily go and, uh, and support him. So, uh, huge thanks to everybody who did that already. Thank you to future donors. Uh, he deserves it. He's one of the good ones. He's just a great dude. Um, has been a huge supporter of ours for a long time. He's one, I mean, of, he's our one of our mods in our discord. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's, he's just a great, great guy and, and his family deserve, deserve the win. Uh, so anyways, um, definitely support that. Uh, but Eric, we do have a couple of reviews to shout out a couple of new five-star reviews, which you guys can of course leave on uh, Apple podcast, Podchaser, and audible. You can drop some words over there or on iTunes. 
um, you can, or sorry, on Spotify, you can leave anonymous five-star ratings. And indeed, we did get a new anonymous five-star rating on Spotify this week. So nice. thanks to whoever left that. Um, and we also, yeah, Sean, Sean Capri is here in the chat saying, embarrass away. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we really, uh, we hope everybody supports uh, Shy Guy. Um, and we also got, and, and I don't know how old this is, Eric, because I just thought to check it for the first time today. Uh, I like discovered Brazilian the iTunes, no German iTunes, German iTunes. We have <laughs> we a got... German fan out there. Nice. We truly well, are a global endeavor, Seth. Well, well, look, I knew that we had, we've uh, interviewed a Hoppel. few, Ger- we've interviewed a few German developers. Hoppel is in Germany. Yeah. Uh, Delroy is in Germany. Matt Murray is in Germany. Oh, so I, I don't know. About that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know who it was that left it. I don't know how long it has been there, but this is the first time I've noticed it. So, whoever left it, thank you. <laughs> Nobody told me about it, regardless. But anyway, so so shout out to everybody who left reviews. Uh, thank you very much. And the last thing I want to flag really, really quickly. Uh, speaking of Sean Capri here in the chat, he's uh, one of my fellow carpool gaming teammates. And uh, starting tomorrow, as we're live Saturday, as the episode goes live, yep. uh, me and the and my fellow teammates at Carpool Gaming are throwing a weekend long event, Carpool Gaming Days at youtube.com slash carpool gaming. It's going to be awesome. We're announcing a lot of stuff over there. I've been working really hard on it behind the scenes. The whole team has been working really hard on it behind the scenes. So plug, 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 check out Carpool Gaming Days this weekend if you want to see or hear more of this guy. Um, yeah, but with all that out of the way, sir, what's been going on in your world this week? A German review that was just a, a five star, no words. No words. Yeah, no just, words. Just, no German words. <laughs> just das gut. <laughs> they didn't they didn't say nine. So, you know, I'm good with that. They they didn't say that. Yeah. Uh but what's been going on in my week? Well, a lot of wars that have been pretty advanced. Yeah. Yeah, of yeah, course, uh, Advanced Wars 1 Plus 2 Reboot Camp finally dropped last week. Seth and I are hard at work as part of the Orange Star Army trying to make our way and defeat the... Actually, that's a bit of a spoiler, so I don't want to say anything. Trying to hey, defeat, now. you know, whoever <laughs> is at the end of these games. There's no way of knowing. It's uh, impossible but, to know. These games aren't like 15 years old or whatever. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Seth and I are both hard at work trying to get through both of those campaigns so much so that we haven't really had too much time to delve into. Like I got the uh, the Final Fantasy collection remastered, which, you know, the pixel remasters, I haven't really had time to jump into, unfortunately, because I want to give those the proper time they deserve. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it, but there's a certain massive DLC update to one of our favorite RPGs on the Switch, which we haven't had time to really delve into. However... Uh, there were a couple other games that I, I did make a little bit of time here and there to jump into. The first of which is a game I've already talked about a little bit here on the show was Horizon Chase Turbo, that cruising USA, that outrun style arcade racing game that I've become enamored with over the past couple weeks. Uh, I've been playing that here and there and getting quite mad at uh, some of the races. <laughs> they really... There's there's two things about that game. They really need to uh, they they really need to add a patch to the game to where button remapping is permanent because I, I have to remap my buttons literally every time I boot the game up. Oh is, wow, that which sucks. Is kind of annoying. Yeah, that's uh, annoying. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm getting to the point where some of the races are just ridiculous. Like 
like it's 20 versus one, essentially. Like the, the cars will just straight up like line up in front of me to prevent me from passing sometimes. And oh man, it's it's really good. It's exhilarating, which is what you want from a game like that. But it there's there's a non-zero percent chance that there's an actual conspiracy in that game against me. <laughs> I don't remember. I mean, I didn't play nearly as much of it as you did. Like I I saw that last year during Extra Life. It happened to be on sale. I bought it. I played it for maybe an hour or two or something yeah. and, you know, messed around with it or whatever. But I, I didn't play nearly enough of it to experience that kind of stuff. I yeah. don't think I really dig it. There's, there's a ton, a ton of content in there. Dozens of cars, each with a bunch of different skins four actual campaigns that you can go on uh, a bunch of different tracks, each with their weird kind of like uh, adorable low poly backgrounds and everything. So it's I, I really dig it. Again, it's an arcade racing game. The controls are very simplistic. So I completely yeah. understand those. Completely understand those people that pick it up, play it for an hour, and are done with it forever. Completely understand that. But I'm really, really digging it. I guess I'm just really, I guess I just uh, needed that kind of outlet for that kind of game for a while. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. But another game that, you know, we talked about the, the huge indie sale going on in the eShop over this past week, and it's still going on. There's still some ridiculous discounts on some really great indie games, including the one I have on the TV behind me, Skullgirls. And I owned it back on the PS3 when it first dropped, you know, of course, me being the fighting game guy, and I played it and I really liked it. That was back when Skullgirls only had like eight characters in it. But they promised to continue to work on the game. and. 10 years later, they've, you know, 10, 12 years later, they've kept that promise. The problem was, is back on the PlayStation 3, I bought Skullgirls thinking that the original Skullgirls release was going to be its own kind of platform and they would just continue to build on that. But actually what happened is when they when they dropped, when they created like the first big content update, they dropped that as its own game. There was no way to add on to the original Skullgirls game, you actually had to buy the whole brand new game, which was essentially just a DLC upgrade. And that kind of burned me a little bit, so I didn't buy it, and I haven't played Skullgirls basically since then. Oh, wow. Even though I've seen all the characters, even though I've seen all the content, even though it's been a mainstay at Evo since it basically came out all those years ago, but this past weekend, because of the sale, it was 75% off. I was like, you know what? It's been long enough, and I feel like whatever little mistakes they've made back then, they have more than learned from. So I went ahead and I picked up Skullgirls. And of course, because I picked up Skullgirls, I had to pick up the pass, the season pass, with all the characters on it. So I have been having quite a bit of fun re-falling in love with Skullgirls over the past week and learning all the, the characters that I didn't get an opportunity to play and relearning all the characters that I did play when the game first came out because it's been that long. I remember almost nothing about my time with the game originally. I haven't even I haven't even done any CPU fights. I've honestly spent probably eight hours, honestly about eight hours in Skullgirls this past week just in training mode. Oh, wow. Just in training mode. I love Dang. a good lab. That's on, honestly, training mode is one of my favorite things about fighting games. Uh, getting a character and going into the lab and just discovering things that you can do with that character. Honestly, that's a big part of the fun for me. Not even the actual fighting, just discovering what characters are really capable of. 
not saying that I that all I do is training mode, but you know, I really enjoy that aspect of the game. So I've been doing a lot of that, a lot of training mode in Skullgirls, having a ton of fun, waiting on the uh waiting on Marie, the actual Skullgirl, to drop as the next DLC character, playing a lot of Horizon Chase Turbo, and of course, getting through Advance Wars for our review next week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Playing mm-hmm. a lot of Advance Wars. Um, I, I'm liking it. It's hard. It is like it's man. <laughs> it's so it's cute hard. and a, and approachable. <laughs> and you get in and you're like, oh, you gonna learn today. Yeah. I'm playing it, on it, casual t- difficulty and still genuinely surprised I haven't lost a battle yet. This game, and you told me this, this game got some teeth to it. It does, yeah. I know. I'll we'll obviously talk much more about it next week, yep. but um, but man, um, like it's hard, like to to the point where like I I honestly, it, it really is like chess. Like it takes so much like mental power to just get through like a mission. What I've been doing is just playing a mission or two and then stepping away. Yeah, that, like that's all I got. That's yeah. all I got in me. You know, um, I so, played the first like five or six. But then yeah. after that, I took I've taken the same approach, like two or three, yeah. and then I step. Well, because the missions themselves, the battle them the battles themselves, they can go long. Yeah, they can. Yeah, I mean, you can spend easily thirty minutes to an hour on a level. Yeah, like I easily. mean, it, you know, it, it just I mean, it, it really just depends on how much you put into it. But but man, like there, it's it's intense. So uh, it has been nice that we have had the the opportunity to. Uh, have a lot of games that we got access to this week, and and I've played a bunch of, of like kind of smaller stuff this week. Shoutouts to uh, the publisher for providing us a copy of Velocity Noodle, which uh, just came out this past week. Has noodles um, in it, apparently. Does have noodles. Uh, so this is a <laughs> this is a uh, sort of precision platformer, like speed running, heavy precision platformer. Mm-hmm. It's all about like momentum and flow and stuff. Has like a sort of the the visual style. Reminds me of like Katana Zero, just that kind of like neon soaked pixel art sort of thing. And okay. yeah, you're just like, you, you have like a, a jump, you have a dash, you have a slide, um, you have a like magical katana for reasons that you can just sort of throw ahead of you. I'm down. There are, yeah, and they're, they're like little points that you can like throw the katana to and then warp to it. Um, so, you know, it's cool. And, and, once you get it kind of moving, once you kind of click with like kind of putting up, picking up what the game's putting down, mm-hmm. it feels really good. Like the, the movement of it feels good. I have a couple of little complaints and there is a video up on the YouTube channel for all yes. these games I'm going to mention. Uh, so definitely check that out if you want to see the game in motion. But um, a, an issue that I was bumping into consistently was the obstacles kind of blend in with the background a little oh, too much for me. Oh, yep, 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 so, yep. So, like, it was kind of hard to tell always, like, like what was and wasn't an obstacle. Yeah. Like, sometimes you would see, like, signage, like, neon signs in the background, and then sometimes they would just be obstacles. And so you didn't know that if you were going to bump into them, and momentum is everything in this game. So, like, if you bump into something, your momentum's just dead, and you just need to restart. Um, and another thing is, is your slide is triggered by momentum. So I can hit the button to activate a slide whenever I want, but if I'm not moving with enough forward momentum, the slide doesn't do anything. You're basically just lying on the ground. You're not even that. It just doesn't do it. Like you just don't even slide at all. Okay. Um, 
So like I'm you have like to a be very going... mirror's edge vibe from everything you're talking Kinda, about. A little bit. Yeah. It's it's sort of like um I mean like it feels really like the movement feels snappy. It feels like like as good as something like a Celeste. Like it feels really, really? good. The okay. movement of it does. Yeah. Okay. But um, when you have these little tiny things, like I, I've said this, I said this in the video, I said it to the developer who was very nice and they, they welcomed the feedback and they were very nice. So big shout outs to the developer. Yes. Um, they, they were like, uh, we're going to continue to tweak and improve it. Cause I really do think that this game is just a few tweaks away from being something really great. Um, this is totally the kind of game that you would see it like a GDQ and say like, Oh, what is this? You know? Yeah. Um, so it's cool. Like I, I like a lot of it. It's right there. Like it's, yeah. it's right there. Couple of little tweaks. Let me slide whenever I want, regardless of momentum, because it just feels so bad. Like when you hit something and just cannot slide anymore, that feels so bad. It like totally kills your run. You just need to restart. Um, so like let me slide whenever I want. Um, regardless, like if it worked the way you were saying, where like I could slide, but just slowly, if I didn't have enough momentum, that would feel better than just hard stop. Like you just hit a brick wall, you know? Um, so I wish there was that. And, and like, even just like a highlight over the obstacles, like just something so that it stands out more against the background. And I think you have something really special here. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah. a lot. I mean, cool game. the vast majority of, of games that have distinct foreground and background elements, typically they just use more muted colors on the background elements and they use much more uh, like a brighter color palette on the foreground. They're, you know, highlighted by way of color use, essentially. Right. I mean, they, they have like so what they try to do is the, the foreground will be kind of static and the background will kind of move with your camera position, mm-hmm. which is fine on levels where there's vertical movement. But if you're in a level that is primarily horizontal movement, the background isn't moving much. Mm-hmm. So, like, it doesn't always stand out that much. It's little tiny stuff. Like, my complaints to this game are very minor, but, like, in a game like this where it's all about the movement, mm-hmm. like, tiny little things can be the difference between a good game and a great game, yeah. you know? Especially when you're talking about flow games that really Mm -hmm. thrive on you know the flow and the continuous movement you know games like mirror's age games like lunistus yep yep totally so it's little stuff like that i I still really like it um it's it's pretty short too um like initially it's very much reliant on like the notion that you're going to go back for there's hidden chopsticks in every level um which is funny you know um there's like time trials and stuff they it's like a score chaser kind of thing if you're just blitzing through the game you'll get through it in like less than three hours um but if you are the kind of person that likes to score chase and get the better times and stuff then then, you know this will be up your alley so i dig it um yeah, so that, that's Velocity Noodle. Uh, the next one I want to shout out, again, uh, big thanks to the publisher for providing us uh, access to this, is Mangavania, which came out this week. I was trying to figure out how to pronounce it. Yeah, it is a uh, sort of like Downwell style um, pixel art retro platformer that has three colors. It's got like the black, white, and red, just like Downwell. Um, that sort of tricolor aesthetic, but you play as this like emo ninja guy <laughs> who like <laughs> I don't really know how else to describe him um, that is forever and, his name as far as I'm concerned 
Yeah, I think the character does have a name, but there's like, it just kind of drops you into it with very little story. It's a very like no nonsense kind of thing. Um, it's got 20 stages. Uh, they're well designed, fun stages, and it's called Manga Vania because each stage is like a little mini Metroidvania section or something. Like, it's not a go left to right combat platformer, it is a explore this little space combat platformer. So it's a bunch um, of small non-linear environments. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of small non-linear environments. You, you go in there, there is a spirit to find on every stage that'll talk to you and give you a little bit of what little like lore there is. Um, and then there are spirits. I love video games. (laughs) Yeah. And then there are these, uh, kind of like little Navi fairies floating around. And Mm -hmm. usually you need to like take out three of them to unlock a door that you can, that'll then like finish the level. Um, and, and you're graded on your time and stuff too. So you're definitely incentivized to go through as fast as possible. Um, the faster you go, the more gems you get. Um, and the gems can be used for 30 gems. You can get one of like four or five power ups, like a double jump, a dash, Things like that. Nice. Um, and so, you know, it's cool. And, and the, the big thing about this is it's five bucks. Um, so it's a very kind of like short and sweet platforming experience. The platforming feels good. Uh, you know, the, the enemy design is is like totally fine. There's, there's a couple boss fights in the game that are actually pretty rad. Oh, nice. They're, they're pretty cool boss fights. Um, and yeah, I mean, you'll get through it in an hour, you know, hour, hour and a half maybe. And uh, it's just a fun little way to, like, kill an afternoon for five <laughs> bucks. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it at all. Um, so that was cool. Uh, again, huge thanks to the publisher for that. But the big one for me this week was Mr. Sun's hat box. Yeah. Eric. So you and I were talking about this game a little bit. And to be completely honest with you, I don't remember exactly how you pitched it to me because when you said it like my brain kind of snapped in half. So for the folks, what games did you compare this to again? It's got elements of a lot of different stuff. Okay. Um, and I, I love this game. Uh, you, <laughs> you can said act, it's like, so fallout shelter meets Spelunky like meets metal gear solid five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying got, to wrap my head around. Trying it, it to has figure so out, many, trying to, it, trying to yeah. notionally put this game together in my head, like these. Yeah. What? It's so cool. Uh, th- this game will get a full indie showcase at some point soon. I love it. Um, okay, <laughs> so let me let me a little bit of backstory for this. So big big thanks to Raw Fury, the publisher, who was awesome working with us on this. I I had been kind of trying to connect with them and uh, and reach out to them regarding a couple of their games and stuff. And normally. They, uh, they, they kind of have like, uh, forms and they, they use like key, uh, websites, uh, like a lot of publishers do, but typically it's just for PC versions of their games. And so I reach out, I say, Hey, like we're a Nintendo based outlet, you know, and, uh, and I would love to showcase the Nintendo switch versions of your games. And they were super cool, super gracious, and just like very friendly and, and, you know, can't say enough good things about raw fury, the publisher. Um, and anyways, so they, they passed along this code for Mr. Sun's hat box. And this is a roguelike, um, mission based, <laughs> like pl- combat stealth <laughs> platformer. He's just making up with, words at this point, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. With like base building elements to it. 
um, with like it has so many different systems. Like the the whole story setup of the game it has a very goofy story setup where the main character is this little like guy named Mister Sun, and he gets a delivery from Amazon, you know, Amazon. Um, and they botch the delivery because the Mister Moon steals his his hat box. He steals the the box that his hat that he delivered is in. Mr. Moon! So, going, going above and beyond to retrieve the hat, um, the amazing employees are like, oh my god, we're so sorry, we will get your hat back, I promise. In fact, we're going to establish an entire base underneath your house, and we are going to work tirelessly to get your hat back. And so... You you end That's up amazing. like recruiting, yeah. You you end up recruiting like this army of employees to go out on missions in a desperate quest to get Mister Sun's hat box back. Um, and the way this works is you have like a mission screen where you go out and they're procedurally generated for every like in-game day. There mm-hmm. are three missions that you can choose from. And you pop in there, and there will be a couple of different rewards and things, and you'll see the sort of biome that it takes place in. And you go in there, and, like, your main sort of verb is to, like, take out enemies or not. Like, you can jump on their heads like Mario and knock them out. They're usually wearing, like, a hat that has, like, a special bonus on it. But the Metal Gear Solid Five comparison comes in because you can Fulton the enemies away and recruit them into your army. So when you knock them out, you can attach a balloon to them and just they go off and then you can like brainwash them and bring them into your army. And it's got a little Rogue Legacy 2 in it as well because each person that you recruit has a bevy of little quirks that can be positive or negative. And the more you take them out on missions and level them up, you can remove some of the negative quirks and gain new positive quirks. Cult of the Sun. Um, In addition to that... You begin having all this base building stuff and higher level recruits can be assigned to different areas of the base, a la Fallout Shelter, and the higher level recruits operating those those base elements, uh, the more access you have to permanent passive effects. Like now I can have more balloons, now research items will be highlighted or whatever. In addition to that, <laughs> there are daily <laughs> missions that refresh every day okay. of items to collect in the stages. So it'll be like, hey, um, like this type of like special hat, I want you to go in there and deliver me three of them like by the end of the day and you can get money or some kind of special perk or whatever. Um, and that stuff refreshes every day. Um, there are story-based missions that appear. And when you take them on, you get a piece of a map to a hat heist and the hat heist unlock a whole other bevy of upgrades and base building aspects and stuff. Like it is this deceptively deep game that was developed by a solo dev named Kenny Sun. So Mr. Sun made the game, um, which is all, which is also very good. Um, and he's been working on it for like five years or something like that. And it's clear to see why there's so much going on. Um, I love it. Like, I, would, I love this I game. I would love to see the hat he ordered IRL to inspire this game. Like, I really want to get him on the show because <laughs> I like there's so, I have so many questions, but like just the, the design of it, Kenny, like what? <laughs> yeah. What is this? 
I just love I, I just love everything this game does, like from a from a design perspective. Like it is just so fun, has so many like different moving parts. And uh, again, this is all very hard to describe and illustrate. So I will point everybody to the YouTube channel where I do have a, a video of that. This is also like gonna be such a great streaming game. I can't wait to stream this game. Like, ugh. I love it. Like I, it is genuinely on my short list of like favorite games I've played so far this year. Like it is so good. Um, so anyway, if any of that sounds good, if this weird amalgam of like Spelunky rogue legacy, metal gear, solid five with like the art and vibes of something like an adventure time, um, kind of sounds good to you. Then check out Mr. Sun's hat box. It is genuinely so good. You're going to hear me screaming about this game intermittently all year. Like when it golden aces time comes around, you'll hear about Mr. Sun's hat box. <laughs> Mark my words. Uh, woof. Okay. But that is it for me. I think we should probably get into the news. What do you say? Uh, we should. And I'm typically the one that takes us into the news, but this week I think I'm going to need a little help. Oh, snap. Got the bard plushie there. I got my bard plushie from makeship this weekend and I absolutely adorbs it. It is, it is so nice. Wander Song is one of my favorite indie games on the Nintendo Switch. Makeship recently did a uh, a run of these things. This thing's incredibly well made. It's so, it's so floofy. I love it. But me and the Bard are going to take us into the news. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about it. Hey, listen. Okay, Eric. There's a lot to get into. Yes, there is. Uh, First and foremost, absolutely the biggest news story of this past week. Sometime Thursday, Nintendo of New York said that their entire second floor was cordoned off for a private event. We need to know what that private event was. It's a conspiracy. There's something going on. This is a massive news story that nobody's covering. I don't know what's going on, Seth. Yeah, that I mean, who knows? The world may never know. I, I, I wonder know. why nobody's covering this. But uh, no, seriously, though, there are a couple of uh, of interesting stories to get to this week. Absolutely. Um, some, some official stuff uh, to get to this week. So officially official, Nintendo has announced they're returning to Gamescom this year after a four-year absence. Uh, Gamescom 2023 is happening from August 22nd till 27th. Uh, we assume there's going to be a Jeff Keighley-led opening night live event. Um, and yeah, Nintendo is returning to the show. This is one of the biggest conferences of the year. There's a lot of speculation already that like, oh, does this mean that they're going to announce the Switch Pro there or whatever? So I don't know. We'll see. But Nintendo's going to be there. Well, I think this is, I mean, the fact that they're going to be there, the fact they've announced their participation in this event, uh, I I do think, I do think this is going to be the September direct, quote unquote. Um, and this is presumably going to be just a couple weeks away from Nintendo Live. So, you know, this would be the perfect time. It is the perfect platform because, you know, as much as we like to uh, you know, bemoan Jeff Keighley's constant throwing of shade at other shows, he's gained a ridiculously large audience with the Game Awards and Summer Games Fest and Gamescom and stuff like this. Uh, and even though Nintendo could, uh, even though Nintendo could announce a Nintendo Direct on anything and still get a ridiculously large audience, having that extra bump is something that from a marketing standpoint 
because of the because of the size of the audience that Jeff Keeley can draw now, that extra bump cannot be discounted if you're a marketing professional. Yeah, it's true. I mean, um, it definitely would get more eyes on the show. Yeah. Um, I I don't know how much Nintendo cares about that. If I'm being honest, um, what I think is more likely, personally, is and I mean, who knows? Nintendo might very well shake up their typical kind of like announcement circuit that they do typically they'll hit like some sort of february direct some sort of june direct and then some sort of september direct and this could well be just like hey we're gonna hold the like september direct like a week or two earlier we're gonna time it around gamescom maybe that is what they're doing um what i think is maybe more likely is i think it might be that they hold off on a june or july news drop and maybe they just do something here instead I think and, I think the June is going to be another partner direct, and this will be another uh, p- yeah. proper direct, as it were. I've, I've could be. I've thought that that's what's going to happen for a while now. Um, but yeah, I, I've in my mind that just makes a ton of sense. Uh, June, another partner direct, same as we got last year, uh, around quote unquote E three time frame, and then you know early September we did get that proper blowout. Nintendo Direct that uh, destroyed all of our eardrums. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to be curious to see how they leverage this stuff because there's already a lot of talk about like, oh, Nintendo's not going to have any news to share, you know, <laughs> after after Tears of the Kingdom and stuff. So we'll see. Have you ever seen Nintendo? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, it wasn't... Don't don't get too cocky. It wasn't that long ago we had the Wii U, dude. I, look, people haven't forgotten about that. So, and I'll say this. Um, Nintendo is at their worst when they're complacent. I'm not saying they are right now, but there is certainly a fear that Nintendo is just sort of coasting. Um, and I don't think those fears are unfounded after, after the Wii U era. That is what Nintendo did, you know, in the Wii U era. They had a wildly successful era with the Wii, they coasted and we got the Wii U, you know, where they tried things, but they ultimately were very cocky and they said, cool, we're just going to slap a U at the end of this and print money. And that isn't what happened. So there is some sort of fear that they might do the same thing with the switch. So who knows? You know, I, I, I obviously remain optimistic. We're in an incredible era as Nintendo fans, but at the same time, we shouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt, you know? So no, but by that's that, where I'm at. No, but by that stretch, I don't think we should, you know, I I'm not willing to, you know, sound the alarm yet either. So No, me either. No, me either. But just temper. I, I think that everybody would do well. We we have lived in such an amazing, like miraculous era as Nintendo fans these past six years that I think that like at a certain point we you do think as we're Nintendo just fans some bad, like a bad year. We, we have to just temper our expectations. It's not, this gravy train is going to stop eventually, dude. You know what I mean? Like we have to just like, we can't come into every year. I'm already seeing people being like, ah, oh, there's going to clearly a new Mario, a new Metroid prime four. And I'm just like, you just have to keep your expectations in check with this stuff. Be excited. Like I'm excited. I love this era of Nintendo. It's super, it's great to be excited, but be excited cautiously, you know? Uh, that, that rug can be pulled out at any minute, you know? I don't so, know. Well, we'll see. We only have, uh, I only say only, but we've got like what? Four months to wait. Less. Yeah. 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 Less than that. Maybe, you know what? So maybe they'll announce call of duty there. 
segue <laughs> segue into th- this is really a barely nintendo related story but i wanted to hit it because i'm sure people are gonna be curious about it um so this is in reference to the cma announcing this week that it is uh, has chosen for the time being at least to block the microsoft activision merger yep um they issued a 418 page report that elaborates on the entire decision um and their big kind of like sticking point was they're positioning that uh, the the merger was going to negatively impact the future of cloud gaming. That was like their big sort of sticking point. That was what they were trying to postulate. Um, and in the report, Nintendo's deal with Microsoft and Call of Duty was referenced. The report says, quote, Nintendo does not currently offer Call of Duty, and we have seen no evidence to suggest that its consoles would be technically capable of running a version of Call of Duty that is similar to those in Xbox and PlayStation in terms of quality of gameplay and content, end quote. Um, and now uh, Bobby Kotick uh, issued an email to Activision and the employees saying, like, hey, we're going to appeal this. Of so who knows? how long it's this thing is going to get dragged out. Um, and it's also worth noting too, that the CMA did request Nintendo um, sort of testify and prove how call of duty would run on their system and say, you know, and, and Nintendo disputed that saying like, well, we don't want to reveal our future plans to you just yeah. so that we could prove that call of duty can run on this thing. So that that's also a little bit of a part of it too, I think. Yeah. But yeah. CMA slyly trying to get a scoop on Nintendo's plans for the rest <laughs> of 2023. That's what all of this is really about. But I mean, when it comes to a merger of this size, when it comes to the act acquisition, uh, this is honestly just another, uh, another roadblock in the way uh, we, we've, uh, we've talked in loose terms about, you know, just uh, offhandedly about some of the other roadblocks they've come across. And it wouldn't surprise me if even after they get past this, because honestly, I don't really have, uh, I, I'm fairly confident they are going to get past this. It wouldn't surprise me at all if there's even another one or another couple after this. This is essentially just, you know, just getting through all the different world organizations dealing with, like, you know, basically we have our Federal Trade Commission in the United States, but, you know, we're not the only country that has organizations like that. So it wouldn't surprise me if another country popped up and said, well, hey, what about this? And Microsoft has to maybe fix some of the language as part of the merger or the deal so that everybody's happy and has a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling about the whole thing. That's honestly what I think it's going to boil down to. I honestly don't see this stopping the deal, but I do think it's hilarious that they singled out Nintendo and specifically the Nintendo Switch's potential for running Call of Duty as as even worth singling out to halt this deal. That's bizarre to me. Yeah, I mean, it should be said, this this is like a paragraph in a 418-page yeah, document. Not, this is not <laughs> what they're hinging their argument on. No, But, but it was no. just weird that they felt it was worth singling out for some reason. I don't think it's that weird because I think that it is, I think for them, um, what they're sort of saying without saying here is, well, because what we've seen of Nintendo hardware right now can't run it, then shouldn't you be confident in saying, oh, it's going to be a cloud gaming thing? Shouldn't you be confident in showing that Call of Duty can run on Nintendo platforms via cloud gaming? That's their whole argument is about cloud gaming in general. So, like, I think that is what they're trying to say is like, well, 
clearly it's not this, so you would be reliant on cloud gaming until we know otherwise. Until we have seen anything else from Nintendo that says, hey, Call of Duty can run on this without it being a cloud thing, then we have to assume that it is. And that, I think, strengthens their argument of a monopolization of them um, having on the on the cloud market. So that's the only reason I could see them dragging Nintendo's name into this at all. Um, but, you know, other, otherwise, yeah, I, I think this is probably going to get dragged on for another like year plus. Probably. So probably yeah. when it comes to when it comes to, you know, courts and uh, stuff like this, this is we're talking like on the world stage. This isn't a couple of indie companies merging. This is two of the biggest companies in this industry coming together permanently and merging. Uh, so it, uh, this is, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going to be talking about this in 2027. I hope we aren't. I, I hope that we can just, if there's a, I, I don't see how much more Nintendo news there is on it. So I, I hope that we can just sort of like, hit it when it needs to be hit like this week and otherwise just kind of let go and let God with it, man. Yeah. You know, just hang over here and so. play with our Legos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hang on before we hit Legos. I have one more story I want to get to because this is, this is a quick one, but this is important. Um, and this is sort of in the realm of legality as well, because forest of illusion, uh, announced this week that they are closing their doors. Um, and this is sad. Uh, they issued a statement on archive.org. They said, quote, as we reach the end of a six year journey dedicated to game preservation, we must regretfully announce the closure of forest of illusion. We've come to the decision that we can no longer keep the site running. This is for a few reasons, but is primarily due to not being able to provide the necessary time and energy needed to maintain our cherished platform. We express our sincerest gratitude to our supporters and followers. Thank you for being part of this extraordinary adventure. And thank you to all past and present patrons who helped us get to where we are. All previous releases, along with their original documentation, can be found here via archive.org. Enjoy. End quote. And for those who don't know, Forest of Illusion has been an ongoing game preservation, specifically for Nintendo, mm -hmm. uh, project for, again, the past six years uh, that essentially has been cataloging things like ROMs and manual scans and anything they can get their hands on um, for the past several years, just trying to preserve all of this stuff. Yep. But it's operated in a bubble with a small team, uh, servers that have been hosted and funded by like just small donors and things like this. Um, there was kind of recent speculation that maybe some copyright things, I'm not trying to postulate anything or speak out of turn, but there was some speculation that Nintendo might've been banging down their door about some copyright stuff, which they obviously have been very, uh, litigious about recently. So that might've yeah. also had something to do with this. Who yeah, knows? We had a huge conversation but, about that just last week, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah, but they say uh, that it's primarily because they're like, hey, we're a small team and it takes a lot of time and effort and energy, uh, let alone money, to to run this thing. And so they have decided to close it and it's all just kind of there on Wayback Machine now. Yeah. So it's sad. It is. There's, there's a lot of like little endeavors, little projects out there. I know Peeves is out there with his uh, SNES manual, like trying to get a full scan uh, collection of all the SNES manuals out there. There's a lot of little people trying what they can uh, to to preserve these things in digital format for for just the sake of preservation. Because as we've continued to say on this show over the past 151 episodes, this is something 
that for many of these things, the big companies really aren't doing. So if you are in, I would say if you're in a position uh, to help out people like, you know, the Video Game History Foundation or other places that are still actively uh, to doing this stuff, you know, maybe see what you can do to help. Do you have any like super old games in your collection that you can maybe scan the manuals of or the inserts or the boxes or, or something like that? Maybe just to have, uh, you know, just to, to keep the record of those. Like that's one of my favorite things in the digital eclipses. Calabunga collection is the absolute lengths they went to. They have scans of like all the boxes broken down in the manuals. And it's so cool, especially Seth and I as big video game history buffs who really appreciate where this industry has come from and, you know, keeping a hold of our history as gamers is important so, like, I would just say, if you are in a position where you think you might be able to help, even in some small way, reach out to some of these organizations and see what you can do for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the VGHF has talked about this a lot. Um, there are a lot of people who kind of look at this stuff sideways because they don't like that it's like one sort of like overarching foundation. It's not. No. To your point, there's a lot of people who are doing this in in little ways. So, um, you know, and, and our industry is still growing. There's a lot of work to be done on this front. And it is sad to see, you know, because this stuff is on archive.org for now. Mm-hmm. But Who's to say that tomorrow Nintendo doesn't issue a takedown and just say, hey, bye-bye, all of that stuff, you know? So um, it's unfortunate. I was sad to see it, to, to see them close their doors, um, you know, wish, wish them all the best, of course. Um, but Eric, enough somber news. Let's talk about Legos. <laughs> Let's talk Legos. Because we did, of course, uh, we had a bunch of teases yeah. all this time. We yeah. have known it's coming. Yep. We finally got the full rollout this week. Yeah, earlier on in the week we did get of course a couple in, uh images as a tease of the forthcoming Donkey Kong Lego sets. But yes, earlier today as we're recording this, earlier Friday, we got the full Donkey Kong Lego trailer. Uh it is officially part of the Super Mario set and because of that the DK characters have just like Mario does these little internal microchips and the sound effects and everything so much so that when the trailer starts up, you can hear this kind of low quality audio of the DK theme. And it's so funny. My initial thought when I saw the trailer was that's a weirdly low quality audio for a trailer like this. And then I realized that it was coming from DK and immediately within like three seconds of the trailer, I was like, I I need to own that. I need to buy that. But it showed off DK Dixie, Diddy, Funky Kong, Rambi, several other iconic DK characters in four sets that all look perfect, frankly. They really do. Yeah, they look awesome. And I do think, I don't know this 100%, but I I actually don't think that the noise comes from DK. I think it comes from Mario. Um, The actual like figures themselves the minifigs for the for the kong family um i i mean i don't know maybe i'm wrong about this but in previous footage that we showed and, and all the sets do their expansions for the super mario set yes so they do show on all of them that mario is required to get the full functionality like on the box art for all of them like mario is not included but you do need mario to get the full functionality out of them so i think they're actually just going to be proximity based when mario and and that's been true of a lot of these super 
Nintendo, uh, these, these Super Mario sets, is that proximity-based, and it'll have, like, something come out of Mario speakers. We saw in a previous uh, trailer that Mario can ride in, like, a weird little backpack <laughs> on the back of Donkey Kong, mm-hmm. um, and then it'll play, like, the theme out of Mario speakers. I think that's what's going on. Um, and we have a couple of... Uh, we, we have a, a full like wave essentially of DK sets. Uh, yes. These are launching on August 1st. Yes. Um, kind of the main set is DK's Treehouse expansion, mm-hmm. um, which has got DK himself. Uh, it's got Cranky Kong um, and it's got kind of like DK's like hut, um, which, which looks awesome. Yeah, it does. Um, we're going to have the Diddy uh, Minecart Ride expansion yes. set, which is the biggest one in terms of like pieces and everything. And pricing. Uh, which is awesome. And pricing. Yeah. So pricing breakdown of this, uh, DK's $59.99. Uh, Diddy Minecart Ride is $109.99. Oh, it's got God. a whole minecart set up. It's got, I'm sure it's going to be making sounds while you're riding around with Diddy Kong on the minecart. Better make it also has funkies. Too. Yeah, it also has Funky's plane. Yeah, it does. Uh, with Funky Kong, and it has all. It looks great. Mm-hmm. It looks perfect. Um, then we have the Dixie Jungle Jam expansion oh. set, and she's got like Jungle Jam. She's got her guitar that she plays in Donkey Kong Country Two when she finishes the stage. Oh, it just looks so great. Oh, it's so good. This I, one is affordable. It's twenty six ninety nine. I need Kitty Kong. I'm well, sorry. I'm a nobody, DKC3 nobody needs guy. Kitty Kong. I need Kitty. Nobody Kong. needs Kitty Kong. Sorry, no. Well, maybe in the future, maybe future wave, you'll get Kitty Kong. Who hey, knows? I give you Tingle. Give me Kitty Kong. <laughs> that's fair. You know what? That's fair. Uh, so this one, yeah, it's got. I think it even has like like squawks. The the parrot too I, I with like a little right, microphone. Yeah. But yeah, these four sets uh, yeah. just look so so good. And I've been able to hold off on these Super Mario Brothers Lego sets until now. But man, God, these just look so perfect. And DKC is one of the best trilogies I've ever played, hands down. Yeah, and this like this perfectly evokes that so much. I would, I like, I'm thinking right now about Lego remakes of the original Donkey Kong Country and how much I would, uh, how much I would day one that. They're, they, I, I've said this for like actual years now on the show. They have to make some sort of Lego Nintendo game that has to be coming. They're oh. building a little between this Mario, Peach, Luigi's Mansion, now Donkey Kong. They're building out these little worlds in Lego form. It would be such a wasted opportunity if they didn't. Um, I think my move on this, I'm probably going to get all of them except for Diddy. That's just too much. 109. It is. I can't do it. Uh, it you, you get a lot in there, but for me, I'm like, I'll be happy. Fifty nine ninety nine for like the sort of main set is typical. That's what they've been doing. The 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 core Luigi's Mansion set was fifty nine ninety nine. Um, the core Mario set is fifty nine ninety nine. So this is pretty typical. This is in line with what they normally do. And then yeah, Dixie. It's just like a stage, really, with like Dixie and yeah. Squawks or whatever. Um, but it's reasonable. And then the Rambi the Rhino mm-hmm. expansion for ten ninety nine, I think, is reasonable too. So I'll probably grab everything but Diddy. So yeah. I might but actually I, get that minecart. Oh, it's really nice. It is. It is really nice. And honestly, if they release a couple more Super Mario Brothers Lego sets, just just remove all pretense whatsoever. Have an actual like Legoland Super Nintendo World section of the park at that point. They're not too far away from it at this point. 
Um, so yeah, that's coming August 1st. Uh, you can go ahead and pre-order now on Lego's website uh, if you are so inclined. But Eric, want to hit the NSO free game trials real quick. Absolutely. Uh, we so, got a good one. Yeah, so Star Wars Republic Commando is no longer available. If you got the opportunity to play that and buy that, cool. You know, big Star Wars celebration, obviously, over the past month. That's why they had it. And we have Tears of the Kingdom coming soon. And that clearly informed the choice of game trial for May. And Seth, you and I wholeheartedly endorse this upcoming game trial. Yeah, from May 1st to May 7th. Uh, for that week, NSO subscribers can play the full version of Cadence of Hyrule entirely for free. Uh, awesome game. Game yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. So that's really yes. cool because that specifically, that that's a style of game that just based on people hearing about it can, can really be a hard sell, admittedly, until you can get your hands on the game, just hearing about it and what it's about. It can be like, hmm, you have to move by the rhythm and that seems really hard. And I can see trying to describe the game a lot of red flags going up for people. But you do something like this and you say, fine, you know what? Try it and see how awesome it is. This is why we endorse demos so much. This is such a great, this is going to sell so many copies of Cadence of Hyrule. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. This will this will be awesome. Play the full game. All uh, the game and related DLC is going to be marked off fifty percent through the fourteenth of May. So easy recommend. Easy, easy recommend. Absolutely, awesome. super awesome. I mean, the hype train is going. You got uh, the the Splatfest voting this weekend for the Triforce Splatfest. Uh, you know, you and I, I think, already picked our teams. You've got, obviously, the three teams, Power, Wisdom, and Courage of the Triforce going on in Splatoon 3 right now. I, I'm probably going to have to actually, I haven't been able to jump into the past, uh, I think, two Splatfests. But for this one, I mean, it's Zelda. It's the Triforce I've got to represent. Yeah, I still, I'm still not 100%. I don't know exactly what I'm going with yet. <laughs> it's going to depend on, I think, who my wife is going with. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but let's hit these uh, these notable releases, man, before we wrap up. Yeah, it's not like we don't have enough to play already. But first and foremost, when it comes to notable releases, I mean, the saga is complete, Seth. It is. Future Redeemed, it's here, and we have no time to play it, but we it is no here. Time. We have no time. <laughs> God, I want to play it so much. Um, so... Uh, obviously, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 was our Golden Ace Game of the Year winner last year. And the big story content that we've been waiting on forever just dropped this past week, Future Redeemed, which we've been seeing in trailers. You got Rex and Shulk and all this media that we've been seeing over the past couple weeks. It's here and it's going to be amazing. And it's probably going to be our Golden Ace winner for best DLC expansion at the end of the year. But yeah, if you have Xenoblade 3, absolutely go play it. I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be a must play. I can't wait to finally get around to it yeah. uh, whenever that happens. Um, yeah. I, I want to hit this game, uh, Smile for Me, which we saw during the, I think this was Inside the House of Indies uh, okay. last year, which finally came out. Um, looks weird. <laughs> looks like a like a weird kind of like first person, like psychedelic kind of thing. I'm, I'm interested in it, but who knows when I'll find time to play it. 
I don't know. So. Well, a game that I've been a game that I've had my eye on for quite some time, Strayed Lights. Mm-hmm. This combat centric kind of polarity shifting game kind of reminds me of uh, that Outland game that we were talking about from the Xbox 360, Ikaruga. Basically, you can change your polarity from like red to blue to match your enemies. It you know to to defend against it. Uh, it kind of like a magnet almost. But uh, I'm, I'm explaining it terribly, but it released this past week. You know, check it out. It looks absolutely rad. I hope I have some time to play because I've been looking forward to this one for quite some time. Yeah, it's got uh, got good reviews, too. So that, that one looks cool. Uh, After Image, which is a uh, a new like Metroidvania with a really uh, breathtaking art style. It's Adam so in the Discord. Pretty, yeah. Yeah, he, he picked it up and he's been sharing a lot of pictures from it. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. He's been quite taken with it and I can see why. Yeah, he's been dropping pictures in the Discord like humble brag. Uh, <laughs> Stop uh, showing but, off your free time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Need IRL DLC like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trinity Trigger. I, you know, I've, I've heard some stuff about this. I'm not super familiar. It's a JRPG. This is mm-hmm. another one that I mostly know of because of Adam, <laughs> uh, who who picked up. Uh, he got like the collector's edition. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he picked up like the collector's edition of it or something. I don't actually know. I don't even think it was the collector's edition. I think it's just like the standard physical has okay. like an art book and stuff like that. Like he he kind of posted like you know everybody else take note sort of deal. So yeah, nice. it looks cool. Yeah, looks cool. Not enough JRPGs to play, of course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, Desta, The Memories Between also came out this week. Go mm-hmm. ahead and check that out. Um, ironically, uh, this past weekend, or this past Wednesday, I believe, was Alien Day, specifically yeah. because of the Aliens franchise. You know, Ellen Ripley, the Xenomorphs, that whole thing. So, uh, in addition to LRG announcing a physical run for Alien Isolation Complete Edition, which I will absolutely be picking up, they also released Aliens Fireteam Elite this past Wednesday on the Nintendo Switch. And I actually played the demo for this, and that really turned me off of the game very quickly not because necessarily it controlled terribly but within the three seconds that i had to play the game it wasn't necessarily the best but the thing that really turned me off of the game is gin like honestly within three seconds of the first enemy encounter the game said oh the demo's over now yeah i I actually said aloud to myself, as I started pulling the trigger, okay, let's actually see how this game is played. And I couldn't even finish that sentence before the game's demo ended on me. And I was like, oh, well, that's a really unfortunately frustrating rug pull. Yeah. And it sounds like the game's not good. Like, the game came out a little while ago on other platforms, and I remember hearing bad things about it, so I didn't have high hopes for this. (laughs) Well, it is a cloud version. It is a cloud version and Nintendo, unfortunately, like we really don't seem to have found the magic formula for cloud versions on the Nintendo switch yet. Uh, We've tried some of the resident evil games on the Nintendo switch and had similar kind of results. But if you've really been wanting to check this game out, there is a two second demo. So, I mean, feel free, check it out. I'm picking up that alien isolation. That's apparently like a miracle port though, but yeah, great game. um, 
In addition, uh, the game that you were talking about a little bit, one of the games that you were talking about a little earlier, Seth, Mangavania, that also came out this past week. Apparently mm-hmm. short, brief, but fun. Yeah, $5. Short, Go ahead and check it out. Yep. Uh, we've also got a game, another game that I've been really, really looking forward to, Bramble the Mountain King, which kind of looks like uh, like a, a, a little bit more 3D-esque version of something like Little Nightmares. Very muted color palette, kind of like horror uh, undertones, very Nordic folklore Kind of Scandinavian. And, yeah. yeah. But it looks yeah. super, super cool. Definitely look for us to be talking more about this game come spooky season. I really hope it's good. Like I said, definitely go ahead and check out Bramble the Mountain King. If you do, let me know how it is. I'm very, very interested in this. Um, yep. On top of that, we got this game called Omega Strikers, which really was flying under my radar up until essentially the day it was released. But this looks like kind of an interesting MOBA air hockey game. It actually looks pretty rad. It's a free download. It's a free to play. I downloaded it. I fully intended on trying to put some time into it before this week's episode. Unfortunately... There are only so many hours in the day, but I fully intend to try it out sometime in the next seven days. I shall report back to all of you amazing people with my findings. But again, MOBA air hockey. It seems pretty rad, actually. It looks cool. I like the art style of it. It is free to play, so that's always kind of contentious. How is yep. that going to be handled? Exactly. We'll, we'll see. I kind of want to check it out. I'll, I'll wait to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, hit Velocity Noodle earlier. Again, if you're into speed running, kind of like retro pixel platformers, um, you know, I, I think you would like Velocity Noodle. A couple tweaks away from being something really special. And has um, noodles. And has noodles. Mm-hmm. Uh, hearing a lot of good things about Nuclear Blaze. Yeah. Um, I think Bowza in the in the Discord, she she said that she played through the whole thing in about two hours. Like a, she said, it's short but it's excellent. And I guess the lead designer is from like the Dead Cells design team or something. So that sounds, sounds right. Cool. It, it does kind of look like that. Yeah, there was yeah. a game that came out recently called Fire Girl that I was really looking yeah. forward to that kind of fell flat. And for a lot of people that were kind of looking forward to Fire Girl, it looks like this is kind of scratching a similar itch to that. So go ahead and check out Nuclear Blaze. It's out now on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one I want to hit here is a Varney Lake, which is um, a new entry in the pixel pulp series. So like Mothman 1966, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. I liked. I I did enjoy that game. Uh, This is kind of a follow up to that from the same studio. And uh, and I I definitely want to check it out. Those are kind of, again, just short, sweet, kind of like visual novel, choose your own adventure kind of things. I really like the art style a lot. It's uh, they're they're fun little games. So Varney Lake is on my radar. Yeah, but thankfully, there's nothing really for us to play this week, so we can really start delving into that back oh, yeah, before thankfully. Tears of the Kingdom. But all stupid, sarcastic joking aside, guys, let us know what you are up to this week, and let us know what you are playing from this massive past month of releases. Let us know. Uh, reach out to us on Facebook, at All In Podcast, at Twitter, at All In Podcast. Come join our phenomenal 
Discord community that's ever growing with a ton of amazing people in there. We also have a YouTube channel, which a lot of you are currently watching us on right now. And if you are, go ahead and hit that like button, the subscribe button, the bell, the notifications, all that good stuff. And if you were just listening to the podcast version of this, go ahead and scooch on over to the YouTube channel at some point. Check out our weekly live news roundups. Check out all the videos that Seth posted on all the games that he talked about. And in addition to all of that content, guys, we also have a Patreon we do, full of amazing friends and supporters like Gamer Jason. Thank you again, Jason, for uh, for for becoming a Golden Banana tier patron. Really appreciate you, my friend. And uh, and those people get access to things like exclusive podcasts we do over there, uh, things like shoutouts on the show, things like discounts on our merch at bit.ly slash all in merch. You can get yourself a shirt, get a mug, get a sticker over there. Uh, throw a couple bones our way uh, to support the work we do here in the indie Nintendo content creation space we really appreciate it but hey if you don't have any bones to throw away that's okay too you can always drop us some words on apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and audible you can leave us five star written reviews and on spotify you can leave us a anonymous five star rating that's very much appreciated i'll shout it out here on the show and even of course it helps german us itunes and spotify. even german itunes even german itunes you can do it and uh, and it helps us climb the ranks of uh, of nintendo podcast get our show in front of the people who need to hear it Absolutely, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much to all of our amazing patrons and absolutely our brand new patron to all of the people who have dropped words all over the world and reviewed us and to everybody who has shared our content somewhere, somehow across the internet and to all of you amazing legends who have helped and will help our friends GoFundMe campaign. Namaste. Namaste indeed, Eric. Another crazy news week, another crazy <laughs> round of notable releases. Of course, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Future Redeemed DLC, chief among them. Yes. The new massive story expansion for our favorite game of last year that really we have absolutely feeling it, no Seth. time to play. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Gotta gotta try to find time for it somewhere, man. Man, but that oh god, it's just such an impressive piece of DLC. It's so like there's been some amazing amazing additions to, you know, games especially over the past few years. It was a little while before Nintendo really kind of wholeheartedly adopted this idea of continuing to support a game for years after the fact. They started kind of dipping their toes in uh, you know, barely toward the end of the Wii's lifespan and kind of got a little bit into the groove with the Wii U and the 3DS. But here in the Switch era, there has been some astounding expansions to some of our favorite games. And we are going to count down the absolute best this week in the top five. All right, Eric, the top five paid DLC expansions on the Nintendo Switch. What are the rules? Well, we're going to be talking about free DLC, clearly. Uh, clearly. No. <laughs> no, this is all going to be paid. And when we're talking about expansions, we're talking about things that expand the game, the world of the game, the stories. We're not just talking about, you know, like individual little microtransactions, a cosmetic here or an extra music track there. We're talking about big chunks, extra pieces that really expand on the world of the games themselves. And even then, 
even then, this was a pretty hard list to nail down. This is going to be a shared list. And I haven't, I, talking about this list and, and hashing this list out, I don't know if I've ever heard Seth aggressively curse at me that, <laughs> that much. Well, okay. Context, context. So initially, we were thinking this was going to be throughout Nintendo history. But as, uh, as Eric said, coming into the segue, um, you know, 3DS and Wii U era didn't really seem much. So initially I was like, oh, well, New Super Luigi U absolutely should be on this top five. And Eric was like, I didn't really like it. And I was no, like, what? I don't. Like, you've, you've got to be kidding me. So that <laughs> turned into a whole discussion. That <laughs> blows my mind still. Andy's wrong, by the way. Um, it- <laughs> my co-host is objectively wrong. You shouldn't listen to a thing he says. Um Yeah. But uh, but yeah, but but there's been so many really great uh, additions, addendums, and and expansions to uh, our favorite games. Again, these are going to be paid. We are focusing on like story, content, mission, right? Uh, quest expansions, not just individual little cosmetics or anything. These have to be big, honking, meaty additions to our favorite games yeah so and this this also means so this is why you're not going to see like mario kart 8 booster course pass yeah that's why it's not going to be um and and also another kind of disclaimer um games that have like come to the nintendo switch as definitive editions with like all of their old dlc also doesn't count like this dlc became a thing in the switch era yeah So no fighters pass, you know, no right. booster course pass, you know, stuff like that. And one last little caveat, we are going to be talking about the entire breadth of the DLC for these games. We're not just talking about individual expansions necessarily. We're talking about the DLC expansions as a whole that have been added to these games. The top five games that have been expanded and improved the most through content like this. Enough rules. Okay. Let's get to the actual list. We're starting off at number Mm -hmm. five, clearly with a big, big honking double dose of story expansions as a matter of fact that really showed us what the future of this franchise was going to look like. Our number five is Pokemon Sword and Shields, Isle of Armor, and Crown Tundra. Yeah, ma'am. Great DLC for Pokemon Sword and Shield. You know, I don't get me wrong. I like Pokemon Sword and Shield, but for me, Isle of Armor and Crown Tundra really like filled out that game. It really made it feel like yeah. a complete experience. Yeah, like they were so big. We did individual reviews of both pieces uh, of that DLC, of both parts of that expansion pass. And as much as I still love Sword and Shield, and as much as I like the wild area of Sword and Shield, I I got to be honest and say the fact that in the first generation where Pokemon really came to console, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't slightly disappointed that it wasn't more open world, that it still felt like it was kind of, it was just still really restrictive in terms of the exploration at large. You were still being funneled through relatively narrow environments. It didn't have the big open world feel of something like a Zelda, which a lot of people were really hoping for from a game like Sword and Shield. But with uh, but when Isle of Armor and the Crown Tundra came out, 
Like they weren't massive worlds, but they were open, completely open environments. And it was exactly what we wanted the core games to be from Generation 8. And it just whetted our appetite because we knew exactly where this franchise was going in the future. They added hundreds of new Pokemon with both expansions and a ton of really cool stuff. The legendary raids in Crown Tundra were cool. All the new legendaries that they added with Urshifu and with Calyrex were really, really cool. But honestly, just for the sake of having these big open environments that were fully explorable in 3D, it was it was Pokemon's real, real first steps into a brave new world. Yeah, because, I mean, like, we had the wild area in Sword and Shield, and it's, like, fine. Um, Had some neat ideas in there, and it felt like a little bit of a baby step. But finally, when you get to Isle of Armor and Crown Tundra, it's like, okay, like, this is what this can be. I'm going in the the ocean and the beaches and exploring the caves and you know it truly does feel like a like a natural open world and um you know it also Isle of Armor in particular is special because it introduced us to Glarian Slowbro so you know <laughs> that's fair that's <laughs> that, fair that alone gives it the shout out <laughs> and they brought back the Gen One starters and they not only did they give us G Max forms for the Gen One starters which are awesome although we we already had gmax jarzard uh we know that but you know they gave us gmax blastoise gmax venusaur and they gave us a way to unlock the gmax forms of certain pokemon uh so that was also really cool the ability to to actually unlock those gmax forms instead of just having to happen to catch a specific raid Pokemon or, you know, just being lucky enough to run into one, you could actually, it took you some work, but you could put together a G-Max stew for one of your mons. Yeah, it was great. It's, it is truly great DLC. And it feels like if you don't play, you know, Isle of Armor and Crown Tundra, you're missing crucial pieces of the Sword and Shield experience. Must plays. Yeah, absolutely. Great post-game content. I wouldn't recommend going in at under level 60, but for those people looking for a little bit more out of their game, even after the admittedly impressive post-game content of Sword and Shield proper, uh, man, man, I really loved both. Uh, uh, Just playing Isle of Armor and Crown Tundra made me stupidly excited for Gen 9. Absolutely. But going into our number four, you know, we, we knew we wanted to have a, we knew we wanted to have an indie representative. I mean, we've had so many incredible indie games uh, on the Nintendo Switch. We cover them every week here on the show. And like the, the thing about indie games is, is twofold. A, we typically get uh, free DLC for indie mm-hmm. games. A lot of indie games give you free DLC. We just got that new update for like Cult of the Lamb. You know, we, we get free DLC for indies all the time. Um, but B, when we get DLC for indies, it, even if it is paid, it's usually pretty small scale. It's usually maybe a one and done sort of thing. Maybe it's great. Maybe it's substantial, but typically it isn't ongoing. Well, that is not the case for our number four, the game that just won't stop dead cells (laughs) yeah yeah so if you look up dead cells on the eShop, there's already 21 separate listings not all not all of them are specifically uh 
dead sells the game. But my lord, you want to talk about an indie game? Like we're talking about an indie game in the same list as games already like Pokemon in terms of expansive DLC that builds on the core game in rich and meaningful ways and the the dlc that seth was just talking about the the castlevania dlc mm-hmm. that you know many people are tripping over themselves to praise like actual perfect scores from a lot of outlets i i've i've thought on multiple occasions that this is going to be the final big update for this game not only are we continuing to be wrong they just announced another update coming soon yeah, I mean, they're, they're just, I genuinely don't think there's going to be a Dead Cells 2. Like, I, I think they are just, they've already made, like, two, probably, like, two other games worth of content for Dead Cells between all of this DLC. And there's, like, there, there's kind of, like, different variations of it. They've done things, like, had uh, other indie game, you know, collaborations come in yep. as, like, fun skins, you know. <laughs> Very much like the everyone is here kind of update with a bunch of indie cameos. And like, my God, is there anybody who's not playable in this title yet? Yeah, I mean, they've added music, they've added, like, these these big named expansions, Rise of the Giant, the Bad Seed, the Queen in the Sea, and then, yeah, of course, uh, Return to Castlevania, Fatal Falls, like, these massive adding new bosses and enemies and just hundreds of weapons and skins and modifiers. I mean, like, this game has just absolutely ballooned in size to the point where, if you played Dead Cells when it initially came out... You really did play a different game than it than it exists today. Um, in fact, like Matt Shy Guy City, he like didn't like Dead Cells when it first came out. Actively disliked the game, <laughs> and then got back into it when Return to Castlevania came out. And now he calls it the best roguelike on the Switch. Like it is, it is just enormous and they continue to support this thing and i i give motion twin like just all the praise in the world for the amount of work that has gone clear passion and amazing paid dlc with dead cells yeah rise of the giant is free but the bad seed fatal falls mm-hmm. queen in the sea and of course return to castlevania uh have have turned dead cells into Honestly, you know, a better than average roguelike into arguably the roguelike on the Nintendo Switch, which on a system that already has Hades is saying something. That's the thing, right? Like we can love Hades all we want, but like Hades, you know, yeah, there's a ton of content in there, but it doesn't keep going. Dead Cells just keeps going to, you know, like you said, literally this week, they added a big free update to it. I mean, it just goes and goes and goes. And I think they're going to keep supporting it for years to come, honestly. <laughs> we'll have to revisit this list in a few years to see where Dead Cells winds up. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Might end up at the top in a few years. <laughs> There's just so, so much there. But I mean, if you want to talk about a major time sink, look no further than our number three. A DLC expansion that I would argue actually has more tasks and more uh, story-related stuff to do than the base game. Our number three is Animal Crossing New Horizons Happy Home Paradise. 
Mm-hmm. Joining the the paradise planning team, going over to the resort island, working with Lottie, Nico, and Wardell, um, and making yeah homes for all of these different people in a paid expansion to Animal Crossing New Horizons, a game that already has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of content in it. Honestly, yeah, in terms of like what you can do, if you are into the interior designing thing, this this expansion, this paid expansion easily doubles the amount of time you can spend in this game. Yeah. And as much as I love New Horizons, when it comes to the game's narrative, the game's story, there's ultimately not too many points you need to hit before you see the credits. Uh, but with Happy Home Paradise, if you were, if you were looking for stuff to do if you were looking for missions and tasks to complete that was the entire reason that they released happy home paradise it is effectively as is the case with basically every entry on this list happy home paradise is effectively another extra game within this game it is astounding the amount of time you can get out of this uh and honestly, kind of surprising that with as large as it is, that it didn't get its own standalone release. It is that big. It might. It might still. I mean, that's what they wound up doing with uh, Animal Crossing New Leaf had. And it wasn't DLC, but they released Happy Home Designer. Happy Home Designer, um, yeah. Which was literally a separate game. And they basically just did the, the exact same thing, but with DLC in New Horizons. And even beyond that, like... When you get that expansion, the stuff that they've added to the base game, like things like being able to do partitions and ceiling lights and, you know, the, the soundscapes and polishing effects, like getting to change like villager houses, like that kind of stuff that was not there in the beginning that they added with this update uh, is massive. I mean, like you can do so much with this. It is truly buck wild. Yeah, that's all part of the free update, though. And, you know, the whole market that they had on uh, uh, on. Uh, oh, man, who's that dog? The the photo Harv. dog? Yeah. Harv, Harv. Yeah. On, on Harv's Island, that whole market that you can get with Tortimer and. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's Red and free. everybody. That's all free. Just talking about the paid DLC. It's still that big. There's still so, so much to do. It's it's an entire essentially small island archipelago nation worth of homes that all need your artistic touch before people can move in. And the like the amount of variety there, it's not all just small island getaways. There's actually a, a surprising amount of variety in terms of the environments and in terms of uh, the, the tasks that you are given there. So you know, if, if you're if you're into Animal Crossing and that kind of laid back uh, gameplay experience, then like this gives you that, but also with a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, for, for anybody who likes the interior designing aspect of Animal Crossing New Horizons, it's a must play. Uh, it's also worth noting that it got added to the NSO expansion pass. Uh, expansion pack so like if you have that you just also have happy home paradise so uh you don't even have to pay extra for it if you're an expansion pack subscriber so very very cool but moving into our number two eric speaking of games that just don't seem to know when to quit (laughs) um 
a game that we I feel like we cover in the news roundup like once a month on this show. Uh, our number two is a massive story expansion to one of our favorite games of a few years ago on the Nintendo Switch. Our number two is, of course, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Which which we think is finally going to be getting its last free title update in June. We Maybe. think it's finally getting its last free title update in June. But of course, yeah, Sunbreak released last year, uh, just like Isle of Armor and Crown Tundra. Seth and I did a full review just on the expansion. It was that big. We had a fantastic, fantastic time running around Elgato and the new... Uh, uh, the new cathedral map and the new, mm-hmm. ju- I love the new jungle, like the, the tropical jungle maps around it. I love the new maps that they added in Sunbreak running around with all the new monsters and the new, like they just keep adding more and more tiers of month. They just added a new one. They just added yep. a whole nother new tier of monsters to continue the ridiculous loop. Uh, yeah, they're adding I, DLC to the DLC all the yeah. time. <laughs> it's DLception at this point. It is absolutely ridiculous. This did wind up in its own kind of weird way getting a separate release. You could buy a Monster Hunter Rise case that says Sunbreak on the front, but ultimately it's just a copy of Monster Hunter Rise with a Sunbreak DLC code. Uh, I mean, because there's so much there, I doubt they could fit the entire game onto a single cartridge at right. this point. They have added just monsters upon monsters and there are times, there are times as much as I love Nintendo content creation, I, I there's so many games that I just really wish I could find more time in the day to put some more time into. And near the top of that list really is Monster Hunter. I've had so much fun with Seth Yu and so many of our community members going on hunts. And it's just been an absolute blast. And Elgato... The, the actual story, the narrative behind Elgato was maybe even more impactful than the main story. Oh, much. For me, yeah, way more. Yeah. It actually made me care about a Monster Hunter character. Yeah, Theo is awesome. Him. I cared about the characters. And they added the follower quests, which were awesome. Like, Oh, yeah, they- the follower quests are so cool. Especially if you're somebody who doesn't have the ability to you know to to go online or you don't have too many friends you know we've all been there i know how you feel but yeah i love the follower quests i mean it's 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 so good uh, sunbreak is an immaculate uh, expansion to an immaculate game somehow making it even better and again the content for sunbreak is continuing to come and as far as we know we'll be uh finishing up with a final like bonus wave of free uh content in june probably in celebration of its anniversary uh mm-hmm. but we'll see i mean who knows <laughs> honestly nothing's off the table for who even knows who even <laughs> and honestly if they kept going i'd be okay with it with all yeah. the the different costumes that I, I just wish they had done more collabs i love my amaterasu costume i love my rush costume i love my sonic costume for my palico but i do wish that capcom had done a couple more collabs me too i i, I wish i could just get dlc for my real life to add more time uh, to play more of this stuff, but before I-R-L-D-L-C. we uh, DLC, I like please, that. please. Uh, but before we get into our number one pick, Eric, let's go over some honorable mentions. 
There's a lot. Yes, yes. I know there's a couple of people out there that have probably been yelling this entire segment. Listen, guys, Octo Expansion was so close. It's amazing. That's our number six, basically. Yeah. Easily. Octo yeah. Expansion is amazing. It hurt my soul not to put Octo Expansion in the top five. But yes, it's fantastic. If you have Splatoon 2, you should definitely check it out. Like Happy Home Paradise, that's also part of the expansion pack if you already have uh, or if you are already a subscriber to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so good. Um, there's also, you know, big shout out. I think a lot of people forget that Breath of the Wild has DLC. Uh, mm-hmm. Champion's Ballad and Trial of the Sword. Champion's Ballad in particular is really good. And Motorcycle! I f- yeah, and I mean, like, I feel like people, even just like for the story implications, the amount of like texture it gives to the champion yeah. characters, um, I always tell people, and in fact, when we had Sean Chiplock on the show way back when, the voice actor of Rivali, like, his response is the same as mine when people hate on that character. I'm like, maybe play Champion's Ballad before you step to me and talk about Rivali. Because <laughs> you haven't seen everything about these characters yet. It's it's a must play. Uh, in addition to that, even though, you know, we talk about expansions, DLC expansions on the Nintendo Switch... This one specifically works on the Nintendo Switch because in the context of the Nintendo Switch, it is paid DLC. Whereas if you got it on the Wii U or the 3DS, you could have gotten it for free. It's weird. Let's just explain it. Uh, Honorable mention, Shovel Knight Treasure Trove. Yeah, it was a weird one, right? Because they they had... um, Shovel Knight was like a massively successful Kickstarter. They had all this Mm -hmm. promised like DLC and they were adding things like Plague of Shadows and Spectre of Torment and stuff. That was all coming as free DLC to the game. At a certain point, they were like, hey, should we like start probably charging for this? And they did it the right way because they announced it well in advance. I think like literally like three months in advance. And they said, okay... If you can continue to still get this content for free, if you buy the new shovel on the ground level, trail. yeah, yeah, buy this new kind of thing. They discounted it and gave you more than enough time to get in on the the treasure trove and continue to getting the DLC for free. But then, like, kind of future generations would have to pay for it. Um, yep. So it's almost like a reverse situation. But I mean, yeah, the the amount of like quality content in Shovel Knight is very impressive. Yeah. So they took the one singular campaign of Shovel Knight, quadrupled it with three, count them, three extra full-on story mode campaigns that you can play through with Spectre Knight, with Plague Knight, with Shovel Knight, three of the members of the Order of No Quarter. And then they just threw in, for the heck of it, a Smash Brothers style platform fighter at the end, just because, why not, we're Yacht Club Games, mic drop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Likewise, in the indie space, the Delicious Last Course DLC for Cuphead uh, is really good. It's not, you know, the the thing is we waited like so long on that DLC and I think a lot of people were expecting it to be like bigger than it is. It's a nice chunky piece of DLC, but like it's not Cuphead 2 or anything like that. But, you know, these things are so every piece of Cuphead, uh, Cuphead content is so lovingly crafted that it makes perfect sense why it takes so long to even make dlc for it yeah yeah they definitely uh went with uh the the philosophy of trying to make it as hard as possible so so players can get the most out of the game it's like we worked on every frame of this animation for so long players are going to appreciate it darn it 
It's great. It's great. If you're a Cuphead fan, uh, a must play. Uh, also, shout outs to the DK's Adventure expansion mm-hmm. for Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. What a great expansion that was. It's oh, my so gosh. Good. It's so good. The return of Rabbid Kong. You know, as first bosses tend to do, they become kind of synonymous with their games and kind of figureheads of the enemies within those games. So the first major boss, Rabid Kong, really struck a chord with a lot of players and came back for that awesome DLC adventure with Donkey Kong and his friends. Super, super fun. I really like the, the Rayman expansion for Sparks of Hope has a lot to live up to. It sure does, man. Bring that on. I'm ready for that. Me too, man. I cannot wait. Also, uh, thank you to Seth for reminding me about this, but Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 on the Nintendo Switch had quite a suite of additional content. They wound up going through, I think, three major expansion drops with new characters, but, uh, you know, crucially, a ton of new story stuff to deal with, with the Black Order and extra, oh my God, it's just a massive, massive amount of extra stuff to play through and do and heroes to level up and universes to save and multiverses to protect. And uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 is great. It's still got that Marvel Ultimate Alliance jank. It still does, absolutely. But there's... The first and the third game specifically just hold a really special place in oh, my yeah. heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, between all of that DLC, added, like, 15 characters to the game. All yeah. of the characters in that game have expansive, like, skill trees and upgrades. You, I mean, you know, there, there's just so much content in that game. Uh, big shout-outs to, to MUA3 for sure. Um, and then, you know, of course... Fire Emblem is no stranger to paid DLC going back to the 3DS, but on the Switch, we have had not only for three houses did they add like a fourth house story as yeah, DLC, yeah. Um, but we just got a whole ton of expansion pass content for Fire Emblem Engage as well. So very cool. Whole nother expansion pass with four or five separate drops of new emblems that you can unlock, most of which needed to be played through and unlocked through their own story missions, in addition to a whole nother story campaign at the end of it, which admittedly left me wanting, you know, a little bit more from that game specifically. But yeah, Fire Emblem Warriors, Fire Emblem Three Houses, uh, Fire Emblem is no, no stranger to DLC at this point, you know, fates and awakening. Uh, if a fire game, if a fire emblem game comes out, you can expect there to be a decent amount of support for post game, uh, expansions. Absolutely. But Eric, what's our number one, sir? Tell the folks what our number one is. Well, I mean, the whole reason we were thinking about this in the first place was, of course, Future Redeemed coming to us from Xenoblade Chronicles 3. And when you and I played this a few years ago, Seth, I think you and I have known that this was number one for quite some time. Our number of one, our number of one, our number one is Torna, the Golden Country, the expansion to Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I mean... You, you got to do it. It's so big and necessary that it got a separate release, you know? It actually um, got its own separate release that can be played separately outside of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. However, 
it is also and was primarily yes. uh, marketed as an expansion to Xenoblade 2 and can be played directly from the main menu of Xenoblade 2, which is yeah. why it still more than counts for this list. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, Torna is amazing. And this is a good, I mean, you, I think on a basic playthrough, you're talking, I think it took me like 40 hours yeah, to play through it, Torna. 40 hours easy, which is more than a lot of standard JRPGs that we're getting on the Switch these days. And I think 40 hours, honestly, is a good length for an RPG. It's long enough to get you really invested in everything that's going on but not to the point of like, okay, checking your watch. When is this going to end? Yeah. Yeah. And you, I mean, you want to talk about required reading. There's so many things I adore, adore Xenoblade Chronicles too, but on a first playthrough, there's a ton of stuff that you're like, what is going on between these characters? What is with this girl in the crystal? Why? Like, what are these motivations? What is going on here? So much of what happens in the base game of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is explained beautifully in Torna, in addition to being able to see characters that you have already come to love from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. You get to see them in new and interesting roles. You know, of course, characters like Mithra and Jin, uh, and just kind of seeing how they became who they were prior to the start of the, uh, of the main game. I love, I, I love that so much. I love like a really well done prequel that adds so much context to yeah. the, the game that you've already played, I think can be so powerful. And Torna does it beautifully. Like, especially with the character of Pyra and Mithra, like, I I am not nearly the the stand for that character you are, Eric. I can't, I mean, few people are. Uh, but um, I, I like do, the character. Yeah, but but I, I do think that Torna added so much texture to Pyra and Mithra. Even for me, as somebody who was like a little bit like removed from the Xenoblade Two, and I don't get me wrong, Xenoblade Two is still like a nine out of ten for me. But I just feel like a wall of glass between me and it until Torna. Like Torna added like so much to yeah. to those characters, and and for Pyra and Mithra specifically, like there are some truly great moments with Pyra and Mithra in this game. Yeah, if you were going to only play one piece of DLC from any of the games that we've talked about, it's, uh, this is number one, because for me, this is such an easily recommendable addition to the world, to the story, to the characters. Uh, it, it's it's almost peerless. It's almost peerless. I really, really am looking forward to seeing how Future Redeem stacks up. Me too. It's got some big shoes to fill. Like even like, I mean, like even the the new sort of like quote unquote main character, uh, Laura is like, I mean, I just, I love her so much. I love like the, the more like simplified battle system too. I love mm-hmm. Xenoblade 2's combat, but like, I feel like Torna is actually more accessible in terms of its combat. It, it knew that like the players of Torna would like probably be coming in from a long absence. They couldn't just thrust you straight in to the complicated battle system of two again. Um, so yeah, I just like, I, I think Torna is really, really fantastic. And yeah, future redeemed has got some huge shoes to fill. And from everything that I've heard, uh, it's, it's a great send off to this kind of trilogy. So I'm, I'm really, really wanting to play it. 
Uh, Seth, I'm sure you and I could talk about Xenoblade all day, but for the folks, one more time, let's run down that list. Yeah, let's run down the list one more time. Our number five, the Isle of Armor and Crown Tundra DLC for Pokemon Sword and Shield. Basically everything that's been released (laughs) for Dead Cells up to this point. It was a free download, but I'm going to include Rise of the Giants, The Bad Seed, Fatal Falls, Equating the Sea, and of course, Return to Castlevania. Absolutely. Our number three was Happy Home Paradise for Animal Crossing New Horizons. Number two, our first trip to Elgato in the world of Monster Hunter with Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. And of course, our number one was Torna, the Golden Country expansion for Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Please give me that IRL DLC for time to play Future (laughs) Redeemed. Please, please, please. (laughs) IRL DLC. That's a t-shirt idea. But... um, (laughs) Let us know, guys, what your favorite DLC, what your favorite expansions to your favorite games were. What DLC do you think actually improved the game that you were playing? Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. Join our amazing community over in the Discord. We would love to hear about all of your favorite expansions, addendums, uh, all of your favorite DLC that you've ever played in your entire life. Give us your life story. We don't care. But, I mean... We've gotten through this. We've got a little bit of time left before it drops. And when I say it, I, of course, mean Tears of the Kingdom. I'm not trying to invoke the name of the Lord just yet because, I mean, honestly, we've got a little bit of time left. Tears of the Kingdom is going to eat our soul for a long. We've got a little bit of time to delve into our backlog, Seth. A little bit of time indeed. And uh, we've we've been doing that quite a bit. I mean, you've been playing Horizon Chase Turbo and stuff, kind of yeah. going back into the well and kind of figuring and stuff rules, out. Yeah. 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 We we've been trying to trying to get a little bit off our plate before Tears of the Kingdom comes. Uh, and one of the games that kind of entered into my purview, it was on sale. I talked about it on the show, and it is absolutely worthy of this week's indie showcase, even the ocean. Yes, even the ocean by Analgesic Productions. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because we actually had Analgesic Productions recently on the show when we talked about Anodyne 2. Uh, And it's because of that game that Seth has been furiously playing through their other titles. And similarly to Anodyne, uh, Seth, you also became quite smitten with this game. Yeah, I really love their entire catalog. I um I was obsessed with Anodyne 2. It's one of my all-time favorites, and I couldn't wait to have Marina and Melos on the show to chat about it. Definitely go back and listen to that interview that we did with them. That was primarily about Anodyne 2, because at that point, yeah. I hadn't played either the first Anodyne or even the Ocean. And um <laughs> At that point you hadn't been fully indoctrinated. <laughs> no, not yet. But uh but as anybody who's been listening to the show uh recently would know, um both of those games have been on sale. And at the time of this recording, both games are still currently on sale on the Nintendo Switch eShop. Even the Ocean is half off. Anodyne 1 is only $1.99. So I couldn't wait like to grab said, both man. of them. It's like we said, that indie that that indie sale was dangerous, man. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I couldn't wait to grab both of them and, and charge through both of them. And even the Ocean uh, is really excellent. Like, it, it is right up there. Like, I just... I love everything that this studio does, and and even the ocean has a lot of those same design philosophies that I loved in Anodyne too. So yeah, yeah, this one's 
more interesting because uh, Anodyne 2 was a composite uh, 3D platformer action adventure slash kind of top-down dungeon crawler. Uh, But this one is more of a 2D Metroidvania platformer. Yeah, sort of. It's it's um it definitely it's a 2D platformer. Um it's it's admittedly pretty hard to describe. Um Metroidvania I mean, analgesic. Yeah, I mean like Me- Metroidvania is uh, is weird cuz like they are levels. They are like areas and stages. Granted, those areas are connected via an old school like JRPG style world map. Um yeah. but they are ultimately like stages that you're going through in a 2D platformer. The big gimmick, kind of like Gargoyle's Quest, a little bit. Yeah. The, the big gimmick with um with this one is that the entire world, everything governing the world, is made up of light and dark energy. This um sort of like X and Y axis of light and dark energy. And rather than having a health meter, you just have a meter at the bottom of the screen that shows how much light or dark energy the main character Aleph has at any given time and there are plants and enemies and things like all around the world um, and lasers and stuff like this um, that are all made up of this light and dark energy so you have to manage how much of either one you have if you have too much of one or the other Aleph will die and to go along with this again the light energy and the dark energy are tied to the x and y axis of the universe so when she has more light energy than dark energy, she will jump higher vertically. And if she has more dark energy than light energy, she will move faster horizontally on the, and it's, it's very like all kind of tied together. So again, hard to describe, but really interesting. I've never seen this done before. Uh, and of course, because she is a player character who has to tread and who has to use two seemingly completely disparate energies, utilize two completely disparate abilities, she of course has multicolored hair to to signify that. Yeah, yeah, that her hair is like, like you do. Yeah, her, her <laughs> hair is sort of colored like um like the energies themselves. Like the 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 light energy is sort of this bluish greenish tint, and then the dark energy is like a purplish pinkish tint. Yeah, yeah. Actually, kind of reminds me of uh, a Lear, the main character of Fire Emblem Engage. <laughs> okay, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, and and it's like it it starts off. You know, Aleph is kind of like a. Um, custodian or research technician for the sort of like hub city of this world, the city of uh, White Forge. Um, and it is like she's going on like a, you know, routine is normal, like power plant repair uh, with a coworker. Events happen that I won't spoil. Um, and this kind of like kicks things off into uh, these events that are putting the entire world at risk. And, uh, and Aleph, it, it kind of becomes up to Aleph to restore these, uh, these power plants in order to restore sort of balance to the world and uh, take care of these giant beasts that are threatening it. So, yeah, and defeat the Fire Nation. And, I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, different thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh- but, uh, I mean, you know, I just made a, a kind of Avatar joke, but they do kind of present this, at least, you know, the, the art style does feel, I don't say necessarily cartoonish, but it, it does kind of have, feel like it has a little bit of influence like that, even though it is pixelated. Yeah, the, it has, like, the gameplay has a pixel art style, kind of like, if you were to see, you know, uh, if you were to see, like, 
footage of this game in motion, you would not be, you know, it, it wouldn't be too far out of the realm of possibility for you to think that this was like a Celeste or something like that. Um, yeah. It, it sort of looks looks like that. It's it's like a pixelated platformer, but the backgrounds and the uh, certainly like the kind of visual novel e elements of the game, because the game also has almost like life sim elements, um, before Aleph goes about her jobs, she can explore White Forge a little bit and engage with characters, talk to people, get a bite to eat at the nearby, you know, food stand and stuff like this. And, and cutscenes in this game are sort of like rendered more like this painterly, kind of like low res, kind of early like internet jpeg kind of look to it that uh that i really like i think it looks really good um you know sort of comparatively to the pixel art of the of the main gameplay yeah uh so is Aleph basically just is there anybody else on this journey with her unfortunately i haven't been able to put too much time into the game myself with you know the aforementioned everything that's been coming out and with to uh tears of the kingdom coming out in a couple weeks i really tried to play it but uh are there any other characters uh, as part of this adventure or is it just kind of her running around doing most of the stuff in the moment to moment gameplay it's mostly aleph but you know i don't want to spoil anything but there there are a lot of other characters that come into play um in different ways the the game does have the game has a lot to say, just like a lot of analgesics games. The game has a huge commentary on racism and workplace culture and othering and class structures and things like this. So there are a lot of characters that sort of speak to that. Um, the game, I mean, like the, the main city is literally White Forge. Aleph is a woman of color, you know. Um, and they, they have a lot to say about stuff like that in this game. Um, and there are some things in here that happen, um, that have a lot of commentary on, again, work, you know, workplace culture, working yourself to death. I mean, when you're talking about the light and dark energy and having to maintain balance of your literal life, having to spend or put your life force in danger for the sake of doing your nine to five job. I mean, you know, this game has a lot of stuff to say about that. And, um, and it definitely, it definitely does a good job of relaying that. And the characters, there, there are other characters other than Aleph that do a good job of illustrating that. I mean, I assume she gets most of her dark energy from the characters in the game who work in customer service. <laughs> the it's it's all over the place like that's the thing the game isn't saying like light energy good dark energy bad you need them both right like you need you need a balance of both of them um and i think the game does that in a, in a really elegant way and like all of analgesics games i think probably my favorite thing about analgesics games is just the cohesion of it the the way that like nothing in their games is ever like not considered like there's nothing about this game that isn't like as a piece of something else um it drives me crazy in video games when like something happens because reasons like that always drives me nuts and that never happens. Like analgesic always nails that just this sense of like, you know, exactly why everything is the way it is. It all makes perfect sense. Even when it's incredibly surreal and weird, there's a part in this game when 
you're walking through like the arms of a starfish that like this civilization has like kind of built themselves around you know An analgesic game surreal no yeah but like you say that right and you can sort of like say that with a derisive tone or whatever but you play these games and it all makes sense it all is it it all is cohesive it all is like kind of a piece of this larger it's all thing connected man it it does like it all perfectly makes sense and um and i think it really just speaks to their understanding of game design and sort of their their approach of game design where everything must be connected you know and that i think has become so like important to me especially like as i get older and i start looking for this kind of stuff in games more i'm finding it in their games and i'm noticing the lack of it in others <laughs> you know so when it comes to the gameplay you've got you know obviously a lot of it is based on movement considering the light and dark energy really govern that mm -hmm. uh, and there's some visual novel aspects like what else should people be expecting when they when they boot this game up yeah, I mean, it's a solid, like, platformer that has puzzle elements in it. Um, it has... It doesn't really have combat. There there are moments of the game that sort of feel like combat, but it doesn't have any overt combat. Um, it's all about sort of managing your energy to solve traversal puzzles and also uh, utilizing Aleph's shield that she has, which can be sort of positioned in any of the four directions, like, you know, front, back, up, and down. And you can even, like, lock it in one direction by holding the A button. Um, you can you can sort of, like, lock it in place. Uh, and so that's good for, you know, sort of guarding yourself uh, from lasers or what have you. Um, and another thing that Analgesic's really good about, this was true in, in Anodyne 1 and 2 as well, um, they take a very like limited skill set and they just drain like the most possible marrow out of the idea. Like they just, <laughs> they, they just know how to take something very, very simplistic and have like dozens of little game ideas out of it. So um, a, a good example of this is they introduce early on sort of the way you restore power to these power plants is with this like battery that has this like rotating like energy core going up and down either the x or the y axis and so very quickly it becomes oh i have to like time my platforming to make sure that that core doesn't get hurt and again this is hard stuff to like describe or visualize but like when you're playing it it becomes this really engaging platforming that feels like it has high stakes even though you aren't actually fighting anything it's really cool and I got to ask, obviously, you know, we had Melos on um, uh, the show and he is, you know, the big music guy. And of course, he was the composer mm -hmm. for this game. And I'm wondering what you thought of his musical stylings for Even the Ocean. It's great. The music's great in this game. Um, so it, it's interesting. Analgesic's kind of like, um, I guess, M.O. is... They'll, they'll sort of like wear different hats. So in Anodyne 1, um, and, and they talked about this during our interview, um, Marina had sort of come into the project late, like Melis had already had uh, a lot of the groundwork laid, and Marina sort of had come in and like added to the story and sort of like crystallized it, and, and they sort of made it their own. Even the ocean 
it's Melos like on programming and on the music, and this is mm-hmm. Marina on the art and the story. Writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um and in Anodyne 2 it was similar. And then in Stephanie, their latest game, which hasn't come to Switch yet. Hopefully it's coming soon. <laughs> uh, it's coming soon, buddy. I, pr- I promise. Yeah, I promise. It better it's be. Soon. I hope so. Um, they promised us it would. Yeah. In, in Stephanie, uh Melos actually led the story. So they they kind of like swap like duties from game to game. But this one, because so much of it is kind of like in place the way it was with Anodyne 2, it almost like feels like Anodyne 2 a little bit in like the way that the story is delivered. Um, In Anodyne 2, the story is like you're Nova, you have this sort of like big burden and this purpose but then you start to sort of see the cracks of that and, you know, like, like what is it, you know, really? And, and with Anodyne 2, it was almost like a commentary on things like religion and expectation and stuff like this. And with even the ocean, it's a similar vibe, but it's more so about, yeah, racism, workplace culture, things like this. Like almost taking a similar story structure and using it to talk about different things. Um, and so musically... I think that it also has a similar job that Anodyne 2 has, which is they need to have like these sort of like ambient sort of themes. Like I said earlier, Aleph begins every day and like probably my favorite piece of music in the game is the music that plays at the beginning of Aleph's day. Um, There's this piece of music that plays that reminds me a lot of Anodyne music and something that Melos talked about when we had him on the show was kind of allowing the player like space to decide how that music hits them. And that, just like a lot of the music in Anodyne 2, is like I could see this being interpreted as being like a sad song a kind of like haunting song or it could be seen as something like, oh, like I'm I'm up and I'm ready to greet a new day. Or it could be like uh, I'm up and ready to greet a new day. You know what I mean? Like it's that kind of stuff. He has a very sort of wide brush with his music. And I think that comes across really strongly in, uh, in all of these games, but, but even the ocean does a great job of it. In addition to having like some great standout, you know, very melodic tracks that feel at home in a platform or two. So yeah, anyway, TLDR, it's good. <laughs> Well, I specifically wanted to talk about the music because apparently there's like 88 songs in the game. It's a workhorse. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently all the songs in the game, including bonus tracks, amounts to about six hours. That doesn't shock me. For what? For just for this game, which is astounding, which is especially because how long to beat has the game, uh, you know, at an any percent is your first any percent run at about seven hours. And not nine for completionists, which uh, I think sounds about right. So having basically different music to listen to for the entirety of that game is bonkers to me. Yeah. Uh, But something I wanted to talk to you about, and I don't know how familiar you are with this, but some people may be confused a little bit at the name, even the ocean. Mm hmm. The name actually comes from the two separate games that this game used to be, apparently. Yeah, and it, and it plays into the story, too. Uh, I, I don't want to spoil too much, um, but but yes, there, there are a couple of different things. Um, they, they had two, uh, a game called Even and a game called The Ocean at the yeah. start. Um, and, and they sort of like combined a lot of those ideas 
um, kind of the, the different interests that they had working together. And they ended up working the title, even the ocean into the, the soundtrack and, and into the music and into the story. Again, it just goes back to what I said earlier. Everything is cohesive. Like the, the title makes perfect sense actually, uh, by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Only a studio like analgesic could say, like, you know what? We have these two games. Let's do the fusion dance. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I imagine they do that all the time. Like the the game that they're working on right now, um, is like this top down RPG with full on like screen based combat that yeah. has no button presses. You just bump into the enemies. It's he Melos is coining the bump slash system, <laughs> where you you just run into the enemies to attack them, and it looks great. Like they they're so creative. Like I just love everything they do, and even the ocean. Like, I think really is a pure, like, accentuation of that kind of stuff. Like, it has deeply personal things to say in a way that I think will be more immediately relatable to people. Like, if if somebody were to ask me, what is the first analgesic game I should play? I would say even the ocean. Because Anodyne 2 has this surrealism that if you don't come in with a sort of, like, predisposition, like, for me, I came into Anodyne 2 and, like, I just like stuff like that already. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do, too. Stuff like, like that. Stuff like skull monkeys and, yeah. I just I just like that kind of thing. And if you can come into it sort of with that predisposition to like that sort of stuff, then you're going to be more receptive to the ideas. Even the ocean, I think, is more palatable because these are human characters with a kind of recognizably human world. Um, in fact, when the game first opens, you're greeted by this character called the storyteller, um, who is I'm sorry. What about me? <laughs> yeah, who who is a mysterious character telling you the story of even the ocean, and the storyteller begins by saying that the story of even the ocean takes place in a world that is not that unlike the world you know, you know. And so I think because of that, even the ocean is a lot more relatable. Uh, to players. I think people can sort of like absorb the narrative and the messages of even the ocean a lot more easily than something like Anodyne, where it's like, here, talk to this character that is made out of tongue. <laughs> you know? It it blows my mind, like because Analgesic has several games under their belt now. This, Anodyne 1, 2, Saphony, the uh, mm-hmm. other game. As far as they've flown, they've continued to fly under so many people's radar. Because this game, I wasn't aware, even the Ocean, originally came out back in 2016 yeah. on itch.io. This is already a seven-year-old game. The The fact that Ana, the Anodyne, the fact that Analgesic is still flying under so many people's radar is mind-blowing to me. It's because, and they talked about this a little bit um, when yeah. they came on the show, but it's they because... Did. These games are not easily readable. Like it, it takes people like us to talk to you about it and to talk to our audience about it and to let people know that, hey, this is there. And these people are making games unlike anything else that is on these platforms. They are making special games that have something to say with incredible soundtracks, with incredible design, with incredible narrative and writing and things to say about about our our lives as people and like really deeply personal stories that don't take a million years to beat either. Like Anodyne 2 is probably their longest game. It took me like 12 hours to see the, the end of it. But Anodyne 1 and even the ocean are 
eight hours a piece, probably, you know, they're not asking the world of you in terms of like how long it takes to play these games, but they're completely satisfying packages. And I just, I can't speak highly enough about them. Like I really, I was so floored by Anodyne 2. I didn't know really what to expect when I came into even the ocean. And I sort of figured that it was not going to even come close to the high bar, to the pedestal that I put Anodyne 2 at. But like, I gotta say, even the ocean is right up there, which is to say that just like Anodyne 2, even the ocean is right up there with one of my favorite indies of all time. You know, like it is that good. Um, they, they just keep hitting and their games just keep getting better. And I'm like, if, if every game of theirs is improving this exponentially, I'm like, is Stephanie going to come out and just be one of my favorite games of all time? I don't know, but I can't wait to find out. <laughs> By the end of this year, we're not even going to be called all in. We're just going to be the church of Stephanie. Yeah. Yeah. It may well be. Uh, so like I, I look at this stuff and if you are somebody who is looking to play a satisfying, relatable human experience, if you like platformers, if you like games that have this cool, cohesive sense of uh, design, um, and again, at the time of this recording, and I think you might, by the time this episode comes out, have another day or two to grab it on yeah. sale for just seven forty nine. Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're catching this episode the weekend it comes out, you have until Sunday at mid. I mean, even then, you know, we're talking about you know it's it's still just fifteen dollars yeah, normally. Yeah, I mean it's it's but, so worth it. Yeah, but if you are happening to listen to this episode the weekend it comes out, you can grab it for seven fifty right now. Do on it, the Nintendo Switchy Shop. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Guys, let us know if you're going to check out even The Ocean or any of Analgesics games, or if you have checked out Analgesics games, I'm sure Seth would like to make some new friends in the Discord. Also, mm. you know, you can reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, and talk to us there about uh, Analgesic and their growing catalog of excellent games. Let us know what your thoughts are, but... You know, Seth, you're talking about backlogs and talking about, you know, the past a little bit. We're bringing back a segment, very special mm -hmm. episode. We're bringing back a segment that has gone lost and forgotten out in the wilderness of all. And we have gone out and we have found, found our precious baby. That's right. That's right. It has not been since episode 84. We have not had uh, this segment on the show. It's a segment uh, that I really like a lot. If you've never heard it before, uh, we like to uh, do what's called in defense of where we sort of like stand in the defense and uh, say positive things about an oft maligned uh, game in Nintendo's catalog. And especially when we're talking about backlogs, bringing back old stuff this week and the gear up to Tears of the Kingdom why not talk about the most maligned Zelda title? Eric, this week, we are standing in defense of The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes. Objection! So, The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes, Eric, a severely underrated game on the Nintendo 3DS, uh, sort of a spiritual successor to Four Swords, um, a co-op-focused 
Zelda adventure for the 3DS that is, I think, way better than people give it credit for. Yeah, absolutely. Here we are, big special episode, bringing back the IDO, bringing back our In Defense mm. of segment to specifically talk about Triforce Heroes. Been a minute. It has been a minute. minute. It has been a hot minute indeed. But yeah, just, you know, a little background on Triforce Heroes. Uh, Something that I actually didn't know prior to looking into a couple things uh, from this. But uh, for those of you who know a little bit about the inner workings of Nintendo, you will know that Nintendo Nintendo Entertainment uh, Analysis and Development, EAD, and their software planning and development, their SPD divisions, actually merged in Mm -hmm. September of 2015 into what they call the Nintendo Entertainment Planning and Development Division, their EPD. The Triforce Heroes was actually the first game released under this new EPD banner. Yeah, yeah. Triforce Heroes has has a lot of interesting things uh, going for it. It was co-developed by them and by Grezzo. And Grezzo, yep. Um, Grezzo is a kind of, until this, they were sort of like a primarily working on not only Street Pass games, but like sort of ports. They worked on the Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask 3D ports. And then they were sort of given the uh, the the opportunity to work on this. They would wind up doing the Link's Awakening uh, HD remake or whatever, the, the new, you know, for Switch. Um, and so, that you know, Grezzo has a lot of history in and of itself, but this game also harkens back to the uh, the origins of the series producer IG Aonuma. The first game that Aonuma ever directed at Nintendo is a Japan-only uh, game called Marvelous Mohitotsu no Takarajima, which is a Japan-only Super Famicom game. Um, and it is very much the sort of like predecessor to what we would get with Triforce Heroes. They literally developed Four Swords on the code of this game. So they added a fourth player, called it Four Swords, and and the rest was history. But going back to the notion of like this like three-player co-op experience uh, was, was kind of uh, at the heart of Triforce Heroes. But it has ties to so many different Zelda games. It's very clearly like kind of a a somewhat spiritual successor to the Four Swords games. In addition to that, it's also meant to be a somewhat sequel to uh, to A Link Between Worlds. And I've even seen a couple people say that the link from this game is canonically supposed to be the link from A Link Between Worlds. Incorrect. Even, I, I, I know. Yeah, yeah, I, I know there's a lot of, but I mean, still, th- there was obviously a lot of Link Between Worlds influence on this game, just as there was clearly a lot of, you know, like Wind Waker, Spirit Tracks, Phantom Hourglass, like the quote unquote Toon Link, that era yeah. uh, influence on this game in terms of the models and the artistic design. So, I mean, like a lot of different timelines and Zelda iterations like have their fingerprints in this title it's it's super super interesting it sits at this weird nexus point of nintendo and zelda 
Yeah. No, it's it's funny because there, there's a lot of like talk about people saying that it's like Link or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they they very specifically say in the game that it's just boys that look like Link. <laughs> like they um they actually the the one of my favorite things about Triforce Heroes is how kind of goofy the story is. Like Triforce Heroes is very it's much fashion. Yeah, like like I like that it doesn't really take itself seriously. It's just about having fun. Like it is it, it's all about this like yeah, this world called not high Hyrule but Hytopia. Hytopia, um, yes. Who's, and not Princess Zelda. Yeah, Princess Styla uh who has been <laughs> cursed to have horrible fashion. She's put in this jumpsuit sort of thing and her her father the king calls out for a for a hero to save the princess and like the prophecy is like oh it'll be link essentially and uh it turns out like oh you you fit this this description so sure you three boys do it you know and it's very funny um and they end up going across the the drab lands uh to you know gear up in this like fashionable gear uh and and save princess styla's style <laughs> it's great it is and of course uh hytopia serves as like your little hub area for uh for for little boys link you know whatever you want to call them uh and you're able to you know uh, get new outfits and and do you know all kinds of stuff but there's not a lot of and i think this was a lot of people's one of their big gripes about the game is a, a hallmark of the core legend of Zelda franchise has always been the exploration. It's always been these, these big interesting worlds that you can explore these ever increasingly epic sized landscapes that you can traverse. Um, and you don't really see that here. This is not that type of game. And you know, there's nothing wrong with making a spinoff or, or making a different style of title. Uh, but but I do think that that was one of people's big gripes with the game. Uh, but ultimately, that was done to, to really streamline the experience because as a multiplayer-centric game, like you, you don't really want to go through a lot of that big open world exploration. That's not going to tie into a multiplayer motif very well at all. Yeah. So, so like what, what Triforce Heroes winds up being is almost like a mission based structure where it is, we're going out to these various, you know, lands in Hytopia. We're completing these kind of dungeons, taking on boss fights and gathering uh, materials at the end of those dungeons that we can use to craft our outfits which uh, which give us like different abilities, um, which is like yeah, I think a very fun and pleasurable loop. The the thing is with this game and with the game that I think is kind of contemporaneous to this, which is uh, Metroid Prime Federation Force. Um, the only crime that these games commit is expectation. Um, in in both cases, with in the case of Triforce Heroes. Because this was positioned as like some sort of successor to A Link Between Worlds, I think a lot of people pick this up and they're like, well, what the heck is this? Um, And it's also not the kind of game it does not like the game was designed for three player co-op. And if you're not playing in three player co-op, you're not going to have a good time. Like playing this game in single player is not good. 
Like, I will be full stop. I really like this game. Single player, it's not good. Like, I will I will completely concede to that. But if you played this <laughs> game the way it was intended, it is some of the most fun you can have on 3DS. I really do believe that. See, I actually didn't mind single player too, too much. It was much harder and it wasn't really designed. No. Everything in the game was designed to to be played with three players, each individually controlling the three links at the same time. It was made to be played cooperatively in real time, but there was something about the difficulty spike of playing it in single player that I always found really attractive. It's challenging me to, to, to be almost like a one man army. It was, it felt almost like, playing a challenge mode of another game. Like our friend Game Champ goes around doing challenge runs of games. It feels almost like that. You're like doing a challenge run of it. And I don't know, like, again, objectively, there's, you know, from a single player standpoint, there's a lot that could have been improved, but there was something that always attracted me personally to doing that. It has like, so one of the big sort of gameplay gimmicks of of this is the like totem uh, yeah. functionality, which is basically just stacking the three characters. They have a lot of fun with this. It's good for like puzzle solving where it's like, oh, maybe we need to stack a certain height so that you can shoot an arrow at a yeah. orb or whatever. And like you do in Zelda games, but it, they also make really good use of this with verticality and boss fights. Um, and another thing that, that I think is, goes often undersung about this game is I think it is actually like bar none, the hardest Zelda game, um, in terms of like the challenge, in terms of the difficulty and the boss fights and stuff like this game's pretty hard and it does actually require some good coordination. I played through this with my wife and my cousin and uh, like we were on like a Skype call or something at the time <laughs> um, and just like screaming at each other. Like it, it was just like absolute bedlam <laughs> a lot of the time trying to get to get through this thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, trying to play it online. That is one of the drawbacks of the Nintendo 3DS is the fact that it doesn't really lend itself that well to headsets or, you know, video communication or, or anything like that. So, uh, you, you did need to have a smartphone or get on a Skype call if you wanted to play it online multiplayer. I will say, uh, and this is something that, uh, we confirmed right before the beginning, uh, you know, if, if you're able to get a few friends together, you only need a single copy of the game in local multiplayer. Yeah. So yeah. if anybody's interested in checking it out and can find a copy, you know, in this kind of resurgent, especially after the, the 3DS eShop closing, a lot of people seem to have kind of refound uh, this long lost love of their 3DS and are starting to pick it up and take it out and about again. If you can find a couple friends, with a 3DS, you only need a single copy of the game to play it in its entirety. The wonder of download play is uh, is definitely present in Triforce Heroes. So that is absolutely an option for you. Yeah, you can get the game now physically for like 15 to $20 because people hate on it so much. Um, and yeah, if you're playing locally, which is probably the ideal way to play this game anyways... Uh, yeah, you can play the entire thing with a single cart and the, there are limitations to it. Like, um, the, the people who are on the download copy of the game don't, 
uh, get to dress up in all of the costumes. They have a limitation. The only costumes they can dress up in are the ones that are actually tied to abilities. Um, they can't dress up in any of like the fun superfluous costumes because another really fun and cool thing about this game is that you can dress up in like all of these bizarre wacky costumes some of them references to other Nintendo stuff um, which is actually more cosmetics in this game than there are in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, it's awesome. Like you can you can dress up as a hammer bro and it makes your hammer ability like like you just have like this giant hammer now. Like it's it's really great. Like the the costumes they have in Triforce Heroes are fantastic and break down a lot of barriers too. Like I uh I really like There's a Wind Waker Zelda dress, yeah. Totally. Like like I love that. I love that they give you that level of customization despite yeah. It is weird that it's like Toon Link but it's in the Link Between Worlds uh engine and it's supposed to be some sort of continuation of that or whatever, but like having this stuff all realized is is really great. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, everything from a like Pharaoh costume to the ice climbers parka to dressing up as like a Goron, you know, like Lady Maud's costume you can wear and you can just dress as this like kind of old fashionista grandma. It's really good. Like there's, there's some great stuff in here, man. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately what this game does, even though it takes out the exploration, you know, this is prior to to Breath of the Wild, where that exploration became basically the single calling card, the one true hallmark of the Zelda franchise. Up until then, you know, exploration was a big part of the game, but the real calling card of the Zelda franchise were absolutely the dungeons. It was with every new Zelda game that came out, it was like, what are the dungeons going to be like? How interestingly and intricately are they going to be designed? How much are they going to test you? And that's what this game does. It doesn't give you a big open world, but it gives you eight big dungeons to explore. And the, the different ways they incorporate, because basically everything that you do is built around this idea of multiplayer and the different ways that the game's going to force you to work together. But the amount of variety that they get out of that, that's, I mean, whenever you hear us talking about a truly special experience, you're probably going to hear either Seth or myself use that word variety at some point in the discussion. And the amount of different things that you get to do uh, to really play on that cooperative nature is really cool. It seems like every room they came up with a new gimmick centered around cooperative play. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's great. They, they have, so you have your eight kind of like overworld areas. You've got woodlands, riverside, volcano, ice cavern, fortress, the dunes, the ruins and sky realm. Um, each of those have got four dungeons in them, kind of like four like levels, missions, what have you, that culminate in a final like temple. So you've got forest temple, water temple, fire temple, ice temple, desert temple, grim temple, sky temple. You got all this yeah. stuff. Um, and they culminate in boss fights as well. Um, and they're like, yeah, like they're they're great. Like they're they're all great. The um 
again just the yeah the variety they get out of like the the gameplay the strategies you have to employ there's a like a bird boss where mm-hmm. you there's like a um a weighted like platform that you have to have one or two of your friends stand on one side so the other side is lifted up so have, enough yep. to go and like whack on it it's really great um you know they, they get a lot of mileage out of that i love the giant i can't remember the name the zelda boss names are all so weird but the the giant like dune sandworm that you have yeah. to totem up to throw bombs into its mouth at the top of itself that's so cool i love that design so much yeah they have like a like a giant like chew uh sort of like encounter that you that you have to like totem up to hit like the the floating like brain or whatever it is inside of it mm-hmm. um yeah there's there's some like really great stuff in there and it's a shame that people like write the game off you know so quickly and i i do feel like 99 of the people that smack talk triforce heroes never actually played it i <laughs> i genuinely do feel that way and like you can tell pretty quick when somebody's just you know punching down for the sake of punching down <laughs> but ultimately it's it's a different type of Zelda game. It's a more arcade style Zelda game, but ultimately, I mean, it's still a Zelda game. It still feels like Link running around. It still feels like Link swinging his sword. Sure. There's a lot of gimmicks and a lot of interesting things that the game is doing. Like, you know, uh, changing up your, uh, changing up your costume. And of course, uh, the totem thing. Uh, but, like a lot of the hallmarks of the legend of Zelda are absolutely here and they still feel like hallmarks of the legend of Zelda franchise. Um, you could have individual gripes with it. And I have, I've, I've seen a couple people also, you know, say something against the, the whole energy meter because mm. in this game, similarly to a link between worlds, uh, you don't have ammo for like your bombs or your arrows or anything like that. Everything goes off your, your energy meter. Um, and I I still really like that, despite the fact that some people argue that it depleted too quickly. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting way to basically tailor all items to a single resource. I think it was, I think it was intelligent. I think it streamlined the game in a way that I kind of almost wish they still did. They, uh, the, the, the way that they, sort of took cues from a link between worlds in that way mm-hmm. where um thing there's a lot more like kind of free form it, it, it's not the lack of exploration it's the exploration in different ways um the exploration from this game doesn't come from exploring like a big world it comes mm-hmm. from experimentation it comes from playing with the costumes and stuff and so if you are somebody who feels like the uh energy or stamina or whatever runs out too much then like you can have costumes that increase that you know there's a uh another big thing with this game is everybody shares the same heart uh the life meter um (laughs) when you're playing definitely contributing to that difficulty right so so you do have to uh account for that as well you know, um, so I think that's another kind of point of contention. And it's really just like people writing off something that has friction. Like if something has got friction, requires you to play it a certain way, requires you to understand it a certain way, is not is unlike the other stuff that you're used to, then it is immediately bad. And I don't subscribe to that. And I do think that this game has a lot of like 
kind of Zelda series standards, like enough of that DNA to be recognizable as a Zelda thing. Like it doesn't feel like a situation where it's like, oh, like this is just Zelda in name and visual identity only. That's not the case. Um, I think a big part of that for me is the music. Uh, the music of this game is fantastic. And anybody who hasn't played this game and has no interest in playing this game, at least listen to the soundtrack. The main theme is phenomenal. Uh, all of the dungeon themes are great. Like It, it has a truly, truly great uh, soundtrack that, that I yeah. highly recommend. Well, I mean, it's a legend. I mean, there, there's a few things that are just always going to be true death taxes and the legend of zelda games are going to have an amazing score um but ultimately i think that the the biggest the the biggest sin that this game commits is being a legend of zelda game that was never trying to be one of the greatest games of all time yeah um it, it wasn't trying to take you on this epic sweeping adventure. Uh, it was supposed to be, like I said, a lot more fun, a lot more arcadey. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, the game still had, like it has an, a 74 on open critic and people treat it as if it's the worst game ever released. And we've said it here on the show a couple times, like 74 is a perfectly fine game. It is a more than worthy, uh, a more than worthy game uh, to check out just because a game isn't a nine or a 9.5 or a perfect 10 out of 10 doesn't make it bad, but because it's a legend of Zelda game, People have written it off on mass because Zelda games are, you know, if you have that name in your title, you are supposed to be a 9.5 and 9.6. You are supposed to inherently be one of the greatest games of all time. And if you're not trying to do that, then you are trash. And no longer, I say, no longer. This game is not bad whatsoever. And it's time to stop treating it as such. God forbid we have some fun every now and then. God forbid we play with these like precious franchises. I love Legend of Zelda more than most people. It is the most important video game franchise on the planet to me. I love the Legend of Zelda deep to my core. I firmly believe I would not be the person I am today if it were not for the Legend of Zelda. But why is it such a crime for us to every so often have these little like spin-off fun experiences i still maintain like this is a game where you can have one of the links or whatever dress up as a cheerleader the other <laughs> one dressed up as a cheetah running around and the other one is a pharaoh walking around on quicksand you know like why can't we just play with this why can't we just have fun for crying out loud why does every game have to change our lives and be you know the greatest game ever made i understand that like the the weight that the legend of zelda carries i totally get it but i still maintain that if they dropped an updated version of this on like nso like an online nintendo switch 
game, the, the narrative on this game would completely shift. Because right now, people are all, like, starving. They want some sort of, like, any sort of Zelda stuff until Tears of the Kingdom. And I feel like people would, like, eat this up and the narrative would, like, be totally shifted on it without all of the expectations of A Link Between Worlds looming large over it. <laughs> and you you could talk about woulda, coulda, shouldas all day long, but I, I have to admit, of all the woulda, coulda, shouldas in video game history, I, I would be interested to see a different timeline where this was instead a direct sequel to that original three-player Super Famicom game ah. instead of carrying uh, the Legend of Zelda tagline. I wonder if it would be remembered as like an 8.5 or a 3DS cult classic. That's the thing, though, is like, if you're Nintendo and you're looking at this sort of thing, it's like, well, like, do we do we make this a new IP or do we tie it to something that has worked before? Because people don't look at Four Swords like this, despite the fact that Four Swords has an even stupider plot, to be completely honest with you. Like, <laughs> stupider still than whatever shoehorn thing they're trying. Because I, I think what, what's actually going on in, in this is like, the green link here, despite the fact that it's a totally different art style, I think the green link is supposed to be the link from a link between worlds, but then the other two are random boys that just look like him. You, you know, yeah. who, who knows what's going on there, but like in four swords, it's just, Oh, like link has like himself broken up into like four pieces and it's just like pretty dumb, you know? And <laughs> I, I, I just like, for me, I'm like, why is that okay, but this isn't? Like, this isn't trying to take itself seriously whatsoever. This is just, like, totally fun for the sake of being fun. And, like, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Like, why can't fun just be enough? You know? Like, why can't it be enough for a game to just be fun? <laughs> the worst part, honestly, about this game now is the fact that its DLC is no longer available. So if you are able to find a physical copy of the game, uh, you unfortunately won't be able to play the expansion that was released for it, um, which was, uh, you know, <laughs> we were talking about expansions earlier. It's not quite torn a sized expansion, but it was a decent little extra amount of content. And it, it does stink that, that that is no longer available to download. I think there were also a couple costumes involved with the DLC. So, but if you're still able to find a copy of the game, you know, have fun, man. Just enjoy, enjoy the, the act of playing a legend of Zelda game that feels a lot like a legend of Zelda game, but being able to do that with other people. Or if you hate yourself, play it single player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't say I recommend it single player. Uh, especially, I, I mean, maybe if you if you just like go into it without kind of knowing that the grass is greener on the other side, like maybe that's okay. But from my experience, <laughs> like I played it in proper like three-player co-op and had an amazing time. And yeah. then later wanted to go back into certain levels by myself to get materials to make new costumes and like i was like oh no this ain't it like having to having to deal with like the weird like soulless totem characters like no this ain't it but yeah in single player what happens is uh you can only control one link at a time as opposed to admittedly this was handled i think a little bit better in four swords adventure yeah uh you can only 
actively move a single link at a time. The other two become, like Seth just said, soulless golems. Uh, I mean, thankfully, when it comes to moving from place to place, you can still tote them up. Right. Uh, so it's not like you've got to, you know, move one link into the next room, then take control of the next link and move the next link. No, you can still move in tandem. You can still move as one using the totem feature, thankfully. Uh, but yeah, a, a lot of the things in the game, the enemy encounters, the puzzles, they are all designed uh, specifically with active co-op in mind. Uh, you know, while one character is doing something, another character does it in tandem with them. So only being able to do one of those things at a time does add a considerable level of challenge. Some would say, and I wouldn't argue with them, a frustrating level of challenge to the game. The timing windows that you have to get for a lot of the different puzzles and challenges become incredibly tight in single player. But again, there was something, again, that's just for me, I understand somebody not wanting to put themselves through that. But for me, there was an interesting like challenge run allure to it all. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, from, and I, I never encountered this because the, the people that I was uh, th- that I was playing with were other people in my region. Um, but from what I've heard, another complaint about this game is that I guess the, the multiplayer is region locked. Um, mm-hmm. playing online, which is unfortunate. Um, but like, you know, other than that, I mean, like I, my criticisms of this game are, are actually quite minor. And while it is like the weakest game in the main Zelda franchise, I think pretty easily, like, it's like pizza. Like, even when it's like not great, it's still pretty dang good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I won't sit here and try to tell you that it's going to make my top 10 Zelda games list anytime soon. But I mean, as a standalone within a vacuum, especially if you're looking for a fun multiplayer experience and you've got a copy of the game, you've got a couple friends, it's fairly easy for me to recommend. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So again, 15, 20 bucks, you can get it physically for your 3DS. You still got one. I think we have defended this game adequately. Uh, No longer will its name be besmirched in the in the uh, all end halls uh you know in, in our community people people love this game we had a great chat about <laughs> it in our discord uh we, we would did. love to hear if uh, if you guys have played it if you want to continue the conversation we would we would love to hear from you uh and you know what i feel good i feel good defending this <laughs> game finally feel vindicated yeah yes we just had to get off we just had to get that off our chest before tears of the kingdom came out because frankly once that game comes out that's probably all we're going to be talking about oh yeah but uh, do you feel vindicated as a listener? Are you finally able to stand up and proudly say, yes, yes, I am not alone in my love for Triforce Heroes. Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast, on Twitter at All In Podcast. If you're not, you should absolutely join. You should become a member of our amazing Discord community. We have a ton of amazing folks and their patrons and it's just all kinds of just awesome human beings all over the place in the Discord community. We also have a YouTube channel. You should check out youtube.com slash all in podcast where each and every Friday night, Seth and I break down this week in Nintendo News Live at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Definitely check that out. It's always a fun time. In addition to all the videos that we put out each and every week, Seth dropped like three videos in the past couple days on various games that we've been given access to always a ton of content going on but 
Uh, also, make sure to check out our Patreon. Yeah, we make a lot of stuff on Patreon as well. Exclusive content for our patrons over there. Uh, join in, three tiers of support. See what all the fuss is about. There's a lot of great stuff there. Uh, look, we we have probably talked more about Triforce Heroes uh, in the past 30 minutes than has been talked about it in the past like 10 years. So mm-hmm. uh, we do that every single week exclusively on Patreon as well with two Patreon exclusive con- uh, content club with two patreon exclusive podcasts uh as well as uh different perks like shout outs on the show and discounts on our merch bit.ly slash all in merch you can get yourself a shirt a mug a sticker and uh and you can uh show your support that way as well throw a couple bones our way and uh, if you don't have any bones throw away that's okay too we completely understand um look we we you can support us entirely for free just by dropping some words on apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and audible you can leave us five star written reviews that i'll shout out here on the show and uh, of course on spotify you can leave us an anonymous five star rating that is very appreciated as well help us climb the ranks of the Nintendo podcasts out there. Yes, we promise we'll quit throwing these promos out all the time. Once everyone on earth follows all in a Nintendo podcast, once you're all subscribed to the Patreon, which you should be, uh, then I could probably finally pay my Florida rent. (laughs) 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 No, but honestly, genuinely from the bottom of our hearts for everybody who has supported this show over the past 151 episodes, guys, thank you so much. Huge, awesome, extra double side shout out to our amazing patrons, to everybody who has dropped words, anybody who has shared our content somewhere, somehow around the internet. Namaste. Namaste. Another big one down, man. Uh, look, we have got a lot of stuff to still do before yeah. uh, before Tears of the Kingdom. We are in the middle of playing Advance Wars, uh, which we've been playing since it came out, gearing up for a review on that, which I think we're going to be doing next week on the show. We are indeed going to be doing a review of Advance Wars 1 plus 2 Reboot Camp next week. On um, Man, there's just been so many RPGs the past couple weeks. Future Redeemed and the Final Fantasy remakes and Battle Network Collection. But we have committed to doing a review of Advance Wars 1 plus 2 Reboot Camp next week. So definitely be on the lookout for that. I'm super excited. Uh, and we've got a ton of work still left ahead of us, guys. But we will see you right back here next week for another brand new episode. Until then, I have been full of beans. I'm, I mean, Eric. And I have been Alien Seth Salation. We'll see you guys next week. We love you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.